get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. got skill you know and he's got speed he's still working his way in but he's doing a good job and he's getting better and better as he goes along with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kylie yakub verana making yeah, his way here in st louis eight goals 10 points he's a plus five on the ice since guy. march 9th the only nhl players alex in this stretch with more goals than verana Matt Boldy, who just can't stop getting hat tricks lately, and Clayton Keller. That's it. Only two guys in the entire league since March 9th, so the last three weeks, have more goals than Jakub Verana, who was added to the Blues for basically nothing. And oh, by the way, the Detroit Red Wings are eating half of his salary for the remainder of this season and next. Alex, what do you make of what we have seen so far from Verana? What what are we getting here? What 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 is Jakub Verana? I go back and cite what Kevin Allen told me, who covers the Detroit Red Wings, He's covered hockey for thirty plus years, and I asked him about him, and he said us in Detroit labeled him every season as a thirty to thirty five goal scorer, and that's what he's what he is. And the best part about Jakub is he just shoots the puck. I looked this so since he's been a blue. He's got 40, now 41, I think, since last night, shots on goal. In 11 games, he's got 40 shots on goal. And, I mean, that's just a guy who essentially says, my puck, I'm going to shoot it. And there's not a lot of those guys on this team right now because there's just so much passiveness of, oh, hey, I'll get it over to you. Oh, hey, well, I'm on the ice with Jordan Cairo. I got to get Jordan Cairo the puck, or I got to get Braden Chen the puck. Not Verona. Verona says, nope, I'm good. I'll take the shot. And he's got a lethal shot, whether it's the quick one-time release that he's got that he scored that goal with last night, or whether it's his ability to deke out the goaltender and score on a breakaway. He is now a guy that I look at next season and say, that's a 30-goal score. And to take it a step further, Last night was the best game defensively I've seen him play since he's been a blue. And Kevin Allen once again said, yeah, he's a liability defensively. That might change now with a head coach or somewhere he feels comfortable with. He made a defensive play in the first period that saved a goal for St. Louis. So if you're getting that on top of a 30 goal score, welcome to a uh, extremely exciting offense next season for St. Louis. Yeah, I, I, I really like his speed, and I, I think he's kind of what you want Jordan Cairo to become as he kind of matures into the NHL, where he's using his speed to get into the offensive zone, and he loses some of that uh, pass hesitancy and starts to shoot the puck more like Vrana. Because I, I comped Vrana, I think it was last week, too. He's always that kid that's on like the youth basketball team that every time he gets the ball, he just shoots. And this team needs a little bit of that to where they're willing to just shoot the puck. So I think you're looking at a potential 30-goal scorer for the St. Louis Blues, and I, I think he's a guy that it becomes interesting when you start to talk about his future because he was a 
reclamation project this year. You know what his future is going to be with the Blues next year, but then the question is what goes beyond that because he clearly is a guy that is what Doug Armstrong envisions the Blues to be, a offensive-minded team that's going to get through the neutral zone with speed and get in and score some goals that way. Joey said last night with me, and Van Ryan said it on postgame, we're a transition team. And I think you're a transition team because now you've got Verona and Kapanen because what you didn't have earlier this season was a transition roster. You had a transition line in Thomas and Cairo, but remember, then they were trying to figure out, okay, how do we get O'Reilly and Levo to work and Saad and Tarasenko to work? And how does this going to work? Now you've got a transition roster from top to bottom. Yeah, you've got the pieces. You were trying to do like square peg, round hole, all that nonsense. And now you actually have the players to play this way up and down your lineup and then you have kind of the identity line so to speak with that fourth line they bring the physicality and the rest of your lines are able to bring the speed to the table and t-bone brought up the question that i wanted to ask you guys ready to play the contract extension game i hate this my favorite i always come as the villain in this game this is like family feud every eh, probably month or so I've got a new extension to to go ahead and throw your guys with. You talking Logan Brown? Nope. Lock him up? Never once did I suggest that. Yeah, Coop Verona is interesting. Yeah, lock him up in the press box. Verona has one year remaining on his contract. So this offseason, he's going to be eligible for a contract extension. Alex, if he continues in this path, let's say he finishes the year with 12 goals for the Blues. If you're Doug Armstrong and Verona's agent comes to you and says, hey, we would like to explore the possibility of Jakub staying long term with the Blues. Why is that? Because we're comfortable here. He has found a home. He wants this to be where he spends the prime of his career. By the way, let's not forget Jakub Verona is a young player still. Young lad. He is 27 years old and he just turned 27 within the past month. If he came to you and said, I'll do a four-year deal, $4 million per year, are you signing up for a long-term Yakub Verona contract extension here in St. Louis? Four years, $4 million? Absolutely. If it's more than that, then I would start to say, okay, let me try and figure out what the future of our team looks like. But this is a guy who can realistically score 30 to 35 goals in a season. And you're telling me I could get him for less than what I'm paying Brandon Saad? And I don't know if you could, but I'm just saying because there are, and we have to be totally honest and upfront about this, there's off-ice question marks about Yakub Rana. It's why he has not been available for a decent portion of the last couple of seasons. It's why he's a St. Louis Blue right now. It's because it didn't work out for him in Detroit for God only knows what reasons. That's in his past. So you have to think about that. And it's also, I think, why... Verona might be willing to take a below market value deal to be in a place where he's comfortable. So it could work for both sides, despite the fact that I don't think that would be maximizing his full value. I do think he could potentially get more if he just went to the highest bidder a year from now and he plays well for the Blues. But that's why I bring up a lower value right now is because I don't think he could get top of the market type of money because of what is unfortunately in his past. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I, I would be surprised if that's the amount that would they be comfortable with. Maybe if it's like a two-year extension for $4 million a year, that might be a little bit more along their lines because then he'd be 29-30, still in the prime of his career. Either way, I would definitely be interested in this because 
You need this type of player on your team. And the off-ice issues, I understand that it can be a concern, but everything we've heard from Yakub Verana, the reporting that's taken place, what Barubi has said, what Verana has said, he felt like when he got out of the player assistance program, he was ready to return back to full form. And he said he felt Detroit was never going to really give him that opportunity to show himself. And the blues essentially said, yeah, we'll give you that opportunity to show yourself because we trust in you. And when you get that trust, you get the best version of that player. So I wouldn't be concerned with the off ice issues because of the, the environment he's around with the St. Louis blues and everything we've seen in the past. Like it's been very rare to see players have issues here. So that's not a concern for me. The concern for me would be giving somebody a long-term extension and wondering if I'm handcuffing myself like I've done in the past with extensions. Let me add to that first part. And then I want to get to the second part here in a moment, because it's, it's impossible and you shouldn't compare two players issues off of the ice to people's issues, frankly, in life. But Jim Montgomery was also able to come here to St. Louis, Mm -hmm. be in a comfortable environment, basically clean up his image because it had gone poorly down in Dallas and he needed to get himself back on track. And he did. He did all of the necessary work. And now he's considered to be one of the best coaches in the NHL once again in Boston because of the opportunity that he first started with here in St. Louis. He deserves the credit, but... I would also say the Blues deserve yeah. credit for providing that opportunity for him. Because he so said he wanted to come both. back. He said he wanted to be somewhere comfortable for him and his family and not in the spotlight. Absolutely. And the reason why I bring that up with Verona is because it has clearly, so far, it's a super small sample size. It's been a month. I might be kind of getting out over my skis here. But if he feels as comfortable as he appears to be, I would be interested in approaching him about a contract extension this offseason because of what I said earlier, which is I think you'll potentially get this at a well below market value deal. And so if you're going to be this rush team, you're going to be this. We're going to win in transition. We're going to win with speed. We're going to get these goal scores. Well, Verona couldn't be any more like the prototype for that type of a player. You need somebody that's got his shot. That's got his skill set that can go three on three in that first unit in overtime and just come up with a goal that you need in that spot. Verona's all of those things. On the ice, I have very few question marks about him, honestly. I think we know exactly what kind of a player he is. He's fast, got a great shot. He's not going to play a lot of defense, but he's going to have his moments defensively. I would sign up for that, not just for the next couple of years, but over the long haul, especially given his age. I, I don't know how many times Doug Armstrong has said this, but it's been at least two dozen over the last couple of months, he wants players in that 25 to 29 type of a range right now. Verona fits right into the middle of that. I would be willing to sign up long term. T-Bone, tell the people why you hate him. Yeah, it's a day that ends in why I wouldn't give him a contract extension. I, one, there is the off ice thing, but I, I want to look on the ice, too. Though I do like the skill set and what I've seen from Verona, he's the kind of player that he's either going to put up a really good season or it's going to be one that's going to be viewed as disappointing. Kind of though Cairo has put up points this year, what people I could see pointing to Cairo and saying that's what he could be, where it's there's no defense, you notice him poorly on that side of the ice. I, I just would not want to give out the contract extension. I, I think also, too, I want, though it's not a backbreaking contract, it's not an eight-year contract extension at like $8.125 million, Four years, $4 million. I, I want flexibility as you're going into a retool because you don't know how long this is going you to take in this retool. You know I want retool. in the retool? Good players. Well, and the other I thing- like having good players on my roster, unlike you, T-Bone. <laughs> you got him on the <laughs> roster next year. He don't need a contract. Well, here's the thing, too. Like, the flexibility for this retool, you've got it because you're going to be paying the the 
minimum for Jake Neighbors, for Zachary Bolduc, for Zach Dean, for Jimmy Snuggerud in the next couple of years. There's your flexibility. You're paying these younger guys to be a part of this roster, but I don't want those younger guys being in my top six. I want those younger guys being third-line players, depth players. I don't want them being the guys I'm relying on. I want the Yakub Varanas, the ones that I'm relying upon. The problem with Verana is... You're going to give them $4 million, and then you're going to look at where your salary's at and say, okay, well, how are we going to lock these guys up? Because you do that, the next year, Pavel Buchnevich is a free agent, and then you've got Kapanen at the same time. This is the problem with the the flat cap, and it's going to continue to rise. It's going up. That's the thing. In two years, maybe this goes up $4 million. Perfect timing. Lock up Yakub Verana. I want guys like this who are in the prime of their careers to be players I rely upon in my top six so that I don't have to look at Snuggerud and Bolduc and say, I need you to win us hockey games. That's how you lose. T-Bone, earlier you said what you've seen from Verona is what you thought you were going to see from Jordan Kyrou. What's Jordan Kyrou slated to make next year? Sadly, $8.125 million. What am I suggesting that we give Yakub Verona? Here's the other question I would bring up, too. Can you have both Kairou and Verona in your top six? You're doing it right now, and you've scored the most goals in the National Hockey League in the last 11 games. Don't look at the goals against Don't look that up. That's fine. I just look at it, and I think Verona... Look, I think is a great player, but I think right now in the situation that the Blues are in, do you want to really gamble on a player that is going to be up and down for on a four-year contract? Yeah. My answer to that would probably be no. I, I, I want that flexibility with his thing. $4 million. How do you feel about Brandon Saad? Do you feel like that contract has worked out for you so far? I think it's been fine. I would say it's been exactly what you paid for. Like when you paid him $4.5 million, you were hoping to get a consistent 20-goal, 45-point player. And you knew he was going to play with speed. He was going to give you opportunities on the power play, PK, like all of those different things. I think he has been exactly the player that you were hoping he would become. I think Verona is a better version of him. So if I can get Verona for less money earlier in his career, where I'm potentially getting the prime years of his career. Yeah, baby. Sign that up. Four years, $4 million. Take it to Verona. <laughs> can we play a game Let's real quick, this, guys? Army. Everyone want to play the game together? Oh, yeah. I feel like salt. Let's play a game. Uh, you tell me if you'd like this player on your roster. No. Nico Heischer. No. Sidney Crosby. Uh, oh, I'd love Crosby. Jamie Benn. Eh. <laughs> uh. Steven Stamkos. Yeah, he's good. Jeff Skinner. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Jesper Bratt. Mm-hmm. John Tavares. These are all BK, get great. excited. Chris Kreider. <laughs> oh, you know I Nathan do. Nathan McKinnon. Nah. Alex Tuck. Jake yeah. Gens. I keep going on this list. All of these guys are Thank you, T-Bone. All uh, of these guys are 30 goal. Right these guys are 30 or more goal scorers, and they're making six, seven, eight million dollars a year. Or more. Or more. I'm going to give you a guy Problem for $4 million. I, I think Verona can get to be a 30-goal scorer, but I don't know if he can do it consistently. He ha- but if you look at his goals per game, like pace, if it wasn't for the seasons that he's missed because of the off-ice issues, he would be a 30-goal scorer. He scored almost 12 goals, or he's got eight goals, nine goals now in 11 games. In the past five seasons, Jakub Verona has played in 240 games, which is the equivalent of three years, right? He has scored 90 goals, which is exactly a 30 goal per season pace. And I could give them to you for $4 million. Let's do it. Sign up Yakub Verana alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up next. So uh, Bernie Miklas had a projection for Jack Flaherty's season. If Jack did this in 2023, then what does it mean for the Cardinals? We'll tell you what that is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
when you can match up a one versus a one in October, you, you, you feel like you have a better chance of winning, right? And I do think like, if Jack can emerge to be that type of pitcher that, that, that gets that type of start and can be that type of, of, of arm, yeah, it definitely changes the outlook of our year. That was John Mozeliak during the offseason talking about what he expects from Jack Flaherty, what he's hoping to get out of Jack Flaherty. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, yesterday Bernie Miklas wrote over on scoopswithdannymac.com about his predictions for the upcoming season. It's well worth your time if you want to go check it out, but specifically one that I wanted to discuss today was his projection on Jack Flaherty. He said, for Jack Flaherty, I'm going with 150 innings and a 3.9 ERA. He went on to explain why, what went into that decision. It was all very logical. But, Alex, I wanted to ask you and our audience, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If we leave the 2023 season and Jack Flaherty finishes with a 3.9 ERA in 150 innings pitched, then blank. What does that mean for the St. Louis Cardinals this season? Uh, I would finish the sentence exactly how you just said it. If he finishes with those numbers, then blank and insert the F-bomb for blank because that's not good enough. Uh, and I, I feel in, I feel bad saying that because, I mean, right around that three ERA is a really good number for Jack Flaherty, but that's not that's not ace type of stuff. And it's the one, like Carlos Carrasco numbers last year for, it, for context on what that means. And that's a number three. And if you want to get real optimistic, maybe like a low end number two. But. I mean, the 150 innings actually seems realistic because if they're going to be cautious with Jack Flaherty, and I would imagine you're going to get some type of injury bug that pops up in a season, everybody goes through it for a little bit of a stretch, but 3.9 ERA, like I I can't be about that. And I know ERA is kind of a useless stat for some people now. They look at other numbers, but I mean, you look around the league in terms of the aces, and I'll just go to Aaron Nola with the Philadelphia Phillies, like that was 200 innings and a 3.25 ERA. So unless the swing and miss stuff is like at a all time high for Jack Flaherty. And even then I'm still concerned because the runs are significantly up. So I'm, I'm not too thrilled with those numbers of Jack Flaherty because I'm still in search of an ace. How do you guys feel about Jamison Tyon, the New York Yankee starter? Fine. Okay. Fine. Would be the word. I would Steven Matz, Lucas Giolito from the Chicago White Sox. Two Uh, years ago, I would have been like, hell yeah, but. I, I think for, I the think reason me, I ask before you go reason I ask about those two guys is they're the ones kind of in this range of what specifically he's projecting for Jack Flaherty fielding independent ERA the number of innings all that stuff they last year had the season that Bernie is projecting for 2023 so to put a, a face a, a name on the type of numbers that he's discussing that's it Tyon Giolito those are the kinds of guys I mean that it potentially it's better because you didn't have that at all last season yeah and, and Giolito was a guy that I th- brought up last year at the trade deadline as someone that they should have interest in if, if the White Sox were looking to move on from him as a reclamation project I I think it to the finish that's question of if Jack Flaherty's this then then the blank should say then there better be another ace brought in in July because they're probably going to need one I I think though that you could get away with Jack Flaherty potentially being at this is if it's just a couple of big outings that cause the ERA to bloat to 3-9 and you see kind of you see games where he looks like an ace he looks like him old self because it's not too far I mean 150 innings is basically what he threw in 2018 now his ERA was about 
0.6 points lower. But I, I think if you have Jack Flaherty and you see spurts of him being an ace and he ends up having a 3.9 ERA, you feel better about it to where you can say, you know what, I can at least see that he's doing this and he's building momentum back towards being himself to where we feel comfortable with him. But I, I still think even if that's the case, you have to then say, okay, we need to go find somebody and move Jack down from being, okay, we think he can be an ace to at times he can be, but he's more of a number two because that's what a number two is. At times they can look like an ace. Miles Michaelis, for example, can look like an ace, but he doesn't sustain that. He's always going to be a number two. Four of your five starters last year that you finished the season with were better than this projection. If Jack Flaherty finishes this year with 150 innings and a 3.9 ERA, then the season is a failure and Jack Flaherty is not a number one. That's where I would be at on this. And it means that you don't have a number one starter. And then you've got to acquire one at the trade deadline. You'd say the season is a failure? Because you don't have a number one starter. I, well, maybe I should clarify. If you don't go get somebody to replace what you were expecting from Jack Flaherty, then yeah, I don't think you can win the World Series that way. I don't think you can make it out of the National League this way. And I think that it will result yeah. in most Cardinals fans saying, you failed. You knew what the offseason need was, which was a number one starter. You didn't get it. That's fine. There's still an opportunity to change that at midseason. If they then find out by midseason that Jack Flaherty is not the number one starter that they were looking for, and in this scenario, they would. They would know that by then. Then you don't get one, and you still have that same need. We know how this season ends in that scenario. So, yeah, I would say that the season is very likely to end up in at a minimum disappointment, likely a failure if Jack Flaherty ends up with these these numbers. Yeah, I mean, if you don't get them, then you're judging the team on the trade deadline. And if the trade deadline doesn't happen, you're right. I mean, all signs are going to be on John Mozeliak to find that ace. But, I mean, when you look at the season, see, I don't even think people care about the regular season. I think it's going to all be about postseason success. And we mentioned this yesterday. And, and as much as you're going to talk about pitching and if Jack Flaherty's not that ace, I feel like everybody's going to immediately jump to, okay, well, then what's the offense do? Because if they don't have success, then it's going to look like a failure overall. So this is what I wanted to ask next, because I think Jack, it's it's about what he does over the long haul more than anything else. But for the Cardinals, I think it's almost judged the exact opposite way this year. I asked this on Twitter yesterday. If the Cardinals finish second in the National League this season, which would probably require 98 plus wins to have the second best record in the NL, so they avoid the wild card series this year, but then they lose in the NLDS, likely against one of uh, the NL East teams. That's probably who finished third in this scenario. You lose in the NLDS in five games. You lose three to two. Would that be considered a successful year? You finished second in the NL. You avoided the wild card round. You did what Tanner's biggest takeaway was from last year, which is, man, you got to find a way to avoid that three game series because that's where the randomness of baseball really occurs. You avoided the three-game series. You won a bunch of games in the regular season, but you still had, for you, a first-round exit. Would that be considered a success? 73% of the 1,200 votes said no. Not a successful season. Have we arrived at the place where the Cardinals' season in 2023 is entirely dependent upon what happens in October and so much less about what happens in the regular season? Absolutely. Is that where we're at with this team? Absolutely. I, I, don't, I don't think a majority of fan bases... They're going to be excited about the 
regular season and, you know, the benefits that come with it of maybe an MVP, a rookie of the year, depending on what happens overall with some of these players. None of that matters, though, if you're looking at success unless they do something in the postseason. And if you get second overall in the National League and you get that bye week and you avoid the wild card, great. But if you go into the NLDS and your offense doesn't show up and you're unable to get through that, I don't think people are going to view that as a success. They're going to view that as, once again, this offense doesn't show up on the big stage. Yeah, I I think it's fair to just judge this team on the postseason. I mean, you look at their division, their division's weak. They should be a team that makes the playoffs. And if you get a two seed, you should be going on a deeper run, in my opinion, than the NLDS. Because then I think once you get to that best of five series, typically the best team should prevail in that. And if you're the two seed, you probably are a better team. And then you run into uh, the Mets or whoever it may be. And you disappoint in the playoffs. But I I do think it's fair to judge this team based on postseason success because this would be the fourth straight year that you've gotten there and you haven't won a game since the 2019, or I guess not, you got swept in the 2019 NLCS. They've won like one playoff game in their last 10. So I I think it all comes down to postseason. And when you're talking about a team that's got the previous MVP in Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, who could win the MVP this year and finished third last year, made a big signing in Wilson Contreras, and you've got a lot of young, talented pieces. Oh, and by the way, a potential franchise-altering prospect in Jordan Walker, yeah, the postseason should be where you're judged because the regular season, though it means something, it it doesn't mean a whole lot when you should win your NL division. Would you guys say that last year's Braves were disappointing? I'd say... Was last year a success for the Atlanta Braves? They won 101 games. They finished in first place in the NL East. They were one of the best teams in the National League all season long. They avoided the wild card, and then they lost in the NLDS three games to one against the Phillies. I would say it's a disappointment because that team had World Series aspirations because you were bringing back the same roster that just won the World Series. I I would agree. I I would say that was a disappointing season. Now, them falling apart, we can kind of dissect now that their pitching was unhealthy. And I think that was a big part of the reason they went down. But I I still say it's disappointing. In any conversation, Um, I would say that was a relatively successful season. And then they ran into a team that was a juggernaut in the postseason. And that's the thing that is really difficult about all of this is I would say last year was a pretty good, pretty damn good year for the Atlanta Braves. Won 101 games in a really tough division and a national league that was completely loaded. And you weren't able to get out of the NL. That happens, man. Think about all of the the great Cardinals teams from 04, really the early 2000s up until about 2015. Think about some of those teams that weren't able to go on runs in the postseason that were better, honestly, than 06 or 2011. It's hard to make it through the National League playoffs. And so for me, I just view it a little bit differently, I think, than most. I do understand the other side of this. I really do. I promise. But for me, I view it as really difficult to say you get through the National League, especially with the way that the schedule is formatted this season, where you're seeing more of the tougher opponents than you are just the NL Central. If you finish in second in this NL this year, that's pretty close to being a successful season, in my opinion. Now, you're obviously hoping and expecting more. And then if you're able to win the 98 plus games, it just continues to add on to those expectations for the postseason. But for me, I would say that's a relatively successful season. And then it comes down to. How much are you able to add on to that? What is the ceiling for that successful year? I, I guess I just view it too real quick that in the life where, where they are in their life cycle, the Cardinals organization right now, it, it's not in, you know what, let's just kind of get in and hopefully, you know, that that is a success. It is based now on postseason success because you're in this prime, op- this this window is open. In the last three years, yes, I would say, you know, get into the postseason, maybe win around feels good. 
But in a year in which there's so much high expectation because of how good this offense looks, I would go I think the other way. I think this is the start of that window. And so if they end up winning 98, 100 games and they fail in the postseason, I know there's going to be a lot of people that are right there with you, but I will say this offseason is when you are ready to take advantage of that window because now you have Arenado Goldie in their prime, and then it's just about building up that that pitching staff because you have the position players everywhere. You've got the two stalwarts on the diamond or on the on the corners, and then your outfields, if you win 98-plus games this year, it means your outfield worked. So I, I would go the opposite route where it's, I don't think your window was as open previously as a lot of people were trying to make it seem. I do think now it is open, and this is your one of that window really being And open. that's where the context for me comes into play. How do you lose in the playoffs? Because does your offense show up, but you never went out there to get yourself the ace, you never had the ace, and the pitching blows it? Because then I'd say it's a success and it's a failure for John Mozalock. But if your pitching is there and you go get that ace and your offense is one of the best in the league and it, and it lays an egg in the playoffs – then once again, I'd look at that and say, yeah, that's a disappointment. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. But next, we're getting into some NFL quick hitters, including something silly that an NFL general manager had to say yesterday about one of the quarterback prospects in this year's class. We'll tell you what that is and why this is ridiculous. Coming up next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Alex, let's start with the news from yesterday. The NFL is really pushing this Thursday night football stuff, guys. Is it the NFL or is it Al Michaels? Both. Yes. The answer is yes. Al Michaels said, I'm retiring unless you fix this. I think that's exactly what happened. Well, maybe not to that degree, but I think Thursday night football watched that uh, or Amazon, I guess. The people in charge watched the Colts versus the Broncos last year and said, never again. <laughs> we will never do this again. And so they proposed two changes to Thursday Night Football. One, we can flex these games out. NFL owners, a lot of them said, yeah, this is a good idea. Not quite enough, though. Apparently, it was like 23 owners said, yeah, we're willing to do that. And then there were nine that said, uh-uh, not doing that. That's ridiculous. Thank God there were at least nine of them that said no, because otherwise, as fans, if, like, for example, you've got a ticket to a game. It could go from you buying a ticket in mid-July. You're going on a Sunday to see the, I don't know, Colts versus the Bears, right? You're going from St. Louis to Indianapolis for that game. Well, two weeks ahead of time, they might say, ah, actually, that's going to be a Thursday night football game. A little tougher to get there from St. Louis, I would say, on a Thursday night than it is midday on say, Sunday. Did that happen previously? Like, I was planning for Saturday, and I've already started driving, but the game happened two days exactly. ago? Bad so, planning by me. So... The NFL is not going to do that. But what they are going to do is that now teams can play two times on Thursday night. And this does not include week one. 
on a short week, teams can now play twice on Thursday night. It used to be just one time for each team. Basically, Amazon said, hey, we want more of the Chiefs. We want more of the Bills. We want more of those top-end teams to be able to play on Thursdays. How do you feel about this, Alex? I mean, I'm fine with it. I mean, really? I watched a lot of those Thursday football games. They were awful, man. Like, give me a little bit more excitement on here. I I, I mean, me. I guess mine's a little personal because I like Al Michaels, and it, it killed me to hear how miserable he was on those broadcasts. But I, I don't disagree with them. I think you need more excitement on those games because then it just becomes a push off where nobody's watching and Thursday nights are just throwaway games. And I that's think what that's, they are. We all know that. But why? You get more football games earlier in the week. I want to get excited. It's terrible for the players. Yeah. Playing on three days rest is horrible. Well, then After get rid of hit. Thursday night football altogether. Agreed. I've got no issue with that whatsoever. I'm there for that, but if it's going to be there, give me something more exciting. We all know why this is happening. And honestly, if I'm a player, like there's a scenario where I say, you know what, whatever, it is what it is. This is why my contract is what it is, because of these great TV deals that the NFL has. But man, they're getting paid billions of dollars for Thursday night football. And so when Amazon comes to you and says, hey, our schedule stinks, we need better games, the NFL's got to be like, All right, how do we get better games? Well, we put more of the Bengals, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Jaguars, like the quality teams, the Eagles. We put more of them on Thursday night football. So that's what's going to happen this year. You're going to see a bunch of these better teams on Thursday night football more regularly. But that's not I don't think that's quality football. We've watched these Thursday games. They're not as good from a pure quality standpoint. Forget the teams. The play is not as good because the guys aren't fresh. They're not ready to go after Basically two days of rest, especially for the road team. Should that be in the NFL, though, to fix the scheduling to where those players can be more fresh for those games? But you can't. How do you do it? You play on Sundays. The the way you would do it would be kind of what they do with the uh, overseas games or what they did. I think they got rid of that this year, too. Where if you, you play the, on a Thursday, you get the bye week That's right what I after. was thinking. Can't you do that you schedule? Can only, you can only do that for, what, 11 weeks? So there's like seven, six weeks there that you can't do it because the bye weeks have to run from like four to 14. So. And you only get one bye. Yeah. Like these teams only get one bye. So like you can't go. Well, but it's got to be understood that, or understood that you're going to have tra- some trash games on Thursday night football. Yeah. But like the ones that you're trying to make entertaining – that's the one where you should try and schedule those bye weeks to make sure that those players are fresh. Yeah, I I agree with you. I just I I'm I don't like the fact that they're going to play multiple games on Thursday night. I understand why they're doing it. I do, but sometimes the ends doesn't justify the means, and I think that's the case in this scenario. I think this is going to be eventually be bad for players, and I do think in the next CBA this will be something that gets brought up, and players will try to negotiate it out of the CBA. So. We are right around the corner from the NFL draft, less than a month away at this point. And this is officially silly season. Combine has taken place. We've seen all of the all-star games. Some of the pro days are taking place right now. And you know ESPN's got to manufacture some BS. So Mike Tannenbaum, let's bring you out. Here's what he had to say about Hinden Hooker. But for his ACL injury, we may be talking about taking him in the order of these quarterback stats maybe first overall. He was exceptional against Alabama. If you could play well against Alabama, you could play well against anybody. Yards per attempt to me is a really key stat in terms of getting the ball down the field. I think he's going to be an exceptional player. That comment might have worked like three years ago when Alabama was the juggernaut. Alabama wasn't really a juggernaut this year. 
Guys, I love Hinden Hooker. I thought there was a point in time last season where Hinden Hooker had a real chance to be the Heisman Trophy winner. I told you guys before the season, bet on Hinden Hooker to win the Heisman. Do you know how old Hinden Hooker is? Isn't he like, he's like one of the oldest guys in the draft class, right? He's like he's the Drew damn Tim- near my age. He's oh, older than T-Bone. You're, you're old. Yeah, you are old. He you is can't even 25 years old. He will turn 26 during next football season. Stetson Bennett is the same age. Ah, they should draft Stetson Bennett Hinden first Hooker. overall. You can win Hinden Hooker title. has a torn ACL. He played in a Mickey Mouse offense where you and I, oh. Alex, I think could have oh. put up a thousand yards in that thing. Football. This, this hot is dog, ridiculous. Hot dog, hot dog. This is when I know we we wait too long for the NFL draft. Yeah. It's when we start getting nonsense like this that actually comes up in the Mike Tannenbaum was just probably like, man, I haven't said anything that's, you know, spiked interest for a couple of weeks. Let's throw Hendon Hooker's name out there as the best overall quarterback. I mean, yeah, I could say that about every player who was injured. Well, despite the ACL tear, he would probably be one of the best players in the draft. Yeah, but the ACL tear was there and he did not compete the way that Bryce Young and CJ Stroud competed with their team. So it, it, nothing he did in college, college translates to the NFL. Nothing. It's like when Drew Locke was at Mizzou. It's the same offense that before Mizzou ran the terrible offense in his senior season. Hey, Drew Locke's had a good career. Nothing that he did in college in his first three years translated to the NFL. And that's why he came back to Mizzou for his final season is because he said, I want to play in a real offense. And then he did, and it didn't go as well. But that's why he decided to come back. Hinton Hooker might eventually be good. Very well possible. He's 25 years old. He's not going to play this year. He's going to be 26 when he is finally able to play. And at that point, he's still got a ton to be able to uh, figure out when he gets into the NFL to actually play a real offense. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. All right. So you're not a fan of Hendon Hooker. There's, there's a reason Tannenbaum's behind a desk. I liked Hendon Hooker as a college quarterback. So you won't be getting a Hendon Hooker Seattle Seahawks hey, jersey. I heard the Rams might draft him in the fourth round, so I'm in. See, that's fine. Well, Mike Tannenbaum get- thinks the Seahawks are drafting him fifth overall. I wouldn't even mind Hendon Hooker on like the second or third round. Day two of the draft, totally fine. Suggesting that there was any scenario in which he would be even in consideration for the number one overall pick is one of the more absurd takes that I, I've heard during the draft I hope process. the Houston Texans trade everything to move into the first overall so that they take Hendon Hooker. That'd be great. All right, final thing here. Lamar Jackson back in the news. Oh, oh what, what, did, what happened, man? Oh, he's back? Did you guys see what he uh, he was tweeting last night? Oh, yeah. I don't follow Lamar on Twitter. What? His agent was getting that out there for everybody to see. So, you mean he's him? frustrated by everybody talking oh. about his injuries. Oh. oh, yeah, because he basically is leaving his team out to dry. He sat out in the playoffs because pff, didn't get paid. That's right. So, here's what he tweeted. I don't remember me sitting out on my guys weeks 1 to 12 versus the Broncos. How come all of a sudden I sit out because of money, which I could have gotten hurt at any point within that first 12 weeks of the season? We know the Super Bowl has been on my mind since April of 2018. That was when he was drafted, Alex. Thanks. Let's get real. I'd rather have a 100% PCL than go out there and play horrible, forcing myself to put my guys in bad situations. That would have been selfish of me. Well, his agent obviously told him not to play weeks 13 through 18. I think Lamar was absolutely hurt. I think Lamar should not be tweeting about how he was absolutely hurt. (laughs) 
Like these other teams are Why coming not, out man? saying, hey, we don't love the fact that Lamar's missed 12 games over the past two seasons. And Lamar's like, yo, I was super hurt. <laughs> it's like, wait. Good. I, Good. I don't think that's what yo, you Yo, my PCL is like 65% healed <laughs> yeah. right now, but you should totally pay me 100% guaranteed money. Can you imagine being one of the owners and being like, hey, he tweeted it. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. Arthur Smith of the Falcons is like, I rescind everything I said. We want <laughs> Lamar Jackson now that we know that PCL was absolutely hurt. Oh, it's just, I, I love Lamar Jackson. Um, I hope he gets all of the money. This situation has not gone well for him, for the NFL, for anybody. Nobody comes out of this a winner with what we've seen over the last got three months now. Honestly, My coming God, up next, an agent. let's get to questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. Four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this from the three one four. Got a throat lozenger. Got lodged in my throat there for a second. I apologize. Why are you telling you're crying over there? Is that the throat lozenger or the Adam's apple? Guys, not not kind. That's where it probably got stuck. <laughs> Guys, if you had to place one bet on a team to win the World Series this year, taking into account value, who would you place that bet upon? Cardinals, obviously. 20, 20 to 1 odds. Not bad odds for the team we're talking about getting bounced in the first round. <laughs> um, I'm assuming the Padres are the favorites. Mm-mm. They're not. They're not? No. Padres, I actually like their odds a lot. 10 to 1. I can tell you now. How are they not the favorites? I was, uh, I was in Illinois on... Um, Gosh, what's today? Wednesday on Monday, and I put down money on the Padres to win it all at ten to one. I, I I really like them. I, I think they're a really good team. I mean, you look at that lineup; it is just loaded, and that's before Tatis gets back. I think they've got the pitching to do it. Their bullpen has maybe some question marks, but they're the kind of team that I know if they have a hole, they're going to fill it at the deadline. So I, I really like San Diego to win the so World the Series this year. Uh, the favorite right now is the Houston Astros at oh, six okay. to one. That makes sense. And then you've got the Braves and the Dodgers at plus seven fifty. Dodgers Guys, if I could, if I could bet a, I want to short the Dodgers so badly. And the only really way to do it is to like bet on the Padres to win their division and then bet the under on the Dodgers in terms of their, their win total. But man, that is what I would love to do. Uh, the Mets are at nine to one Padres, 10 to one Phillies at 15 to one. And then it's the Cardinals at 20 to one in the national league. I, I got to be honest. And as much as it sounds like a Homer, if it's 20 to one odds, I'd probably put money down on the Cardinals because if they do get a big acquisition at the trade deadline, I mean, the Mets are injured. The Phillies are injured. There might be a nice path for you this season. I kind of like the Mariners at 20 to one as well. I don't mind that. They got a they, sneaky they've got some good, good team. pitching. Obviously, we saw last year what that lineup can do. Toronto at twelve to one is also a really interesting one. Um, I would kind of sprinkle some money on the, that mid tier: Padres, Blue Jays. Uh, maybe you think about the Rays at uh, twenty to one as well. I'd Mariners twenty to one. 
Sure. You Cleveland at Cleveland, 25 to 1. They've got incredible pitching. And then Jose Ramirez, Josh Bell, if he has a big year. Uh, the kid they just signed. Uh, they're Jimenez. going to win that division. So you know yeah. they're going to be in the playoffs. And then it just becomes a question of, like, can they get it done it in the sucks playoffs? sucks for the Cardinals in terms of getting Shane Bieber. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's happening in season. Off season, though, very possible. All right, 314-399-9646 uh, from the 314. Guys, if you had to place a bet on an MVP candidate for the National League this year, who would it be? Nolan Arenado. Arenado's a good one. I, I guarantee his odds are great, too, because Juan Soto's got to be the favorite in the NL. He is at 5-1. to one. Uh, Nolan Arenado's 12-1. to one. Oh, 12 I would to one odds. totally put money down on that. Yeah, I, I Austin like, Riley, 16 to 1. I like that. That's a good one, too. I, I could see where Pete Alonzo has a big year at 16 to 1. I, I mean, he's got the power to do it, too. So he would be kind of my sleeper pick. I I think I would probably, if it was just you had to put $10 on one, I, I would probably take the favorite one. So I, I think that dude's going to have a massive year as he's getting closer and closer to free agency. Man, and now he's got a year to kind of acclimate himself with San Diego. I don't think he'll be as bad as he was in Washington. And I say bad, and it's kind of relative. Basically, just his average was down. But I, I think now that he's got people around him and he doesn't have to feel like he's got to carry the offense, I think you see a massive year from Juan Soto. I, I think he would be the guy for me. You know what's an interesting one, and he's kind of similar to Nolan Arenado in terms of his odds. Trey Turner at 11-1. to 1. Given the rule changes where he he could have like 60 stolen bases this year, and I don't think it would surprise anybody. He's playing in a hitter's park, um, and they're going to need him to step up in that lineup. If they end up being better than expected this year with Hoskins and Harper potentially both missing time, especially early on in the season, Trey Turner is an interesting one at 11 to 1 odds. Those aren't like crazy odds. He's a fifth favorite in the National League, but that, that one might be worth Uh, throwing a little cash at as well coming up next i don't think he's going to be an mvp candidate for the cardinals even but what is dylan carlson's future here in st louis we'll talk about that next you're on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn competition okay and dylan carlson is is fighting for his his career in st louis uh and plain and simple they're gonna he's gonna have to really step up his game and it really comes down to his offense more than anything else but dylan carlson is a in a fight for his job because everybody's going to be kicking the tires on it whether it's o'neill or uh large newbar uh, Oscar Mercado is here as well. I mean, they've got some guys that can play center field, so it's going to be up to Dylan Carlson to make sure he's on that opening day lineup card. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That, of course, was Claiborne on with the morning show. This was at the very beginning of spring training, Alex, where he was saying, hey, it is going to be a fight for Dylan Carlson to start the season in the opening day lineup, and we're one day away. Let's go around real quick. Do you guys expect to see Dylan Carlson in tomorrow's lineup for the Cardinals? I don't. No. I don't either. I don't think anybody does. Like, if you had, if you pulled 100 people, I think all 100 would say, nope, Dylan Carlson, not only should he not be in the opening day lineup, but I don't think he will be in the opening day lineup. And so that's the backdrop to a story that I was reading yesterday over on CBS Sports where they put together some bold predictions. One of their writers said, for my bold prediction, I'm calling a Dylan Carlson for Trevor Rogers swap. 
Uh, maybe it's a larger trade with a few other players thrown in, but that's the core of it. Carlson for Rodgers. Each player has four years of team control remaining, so that matches up in terms of their timelines, and each club would be dealing from an area of, of depth for an area of need. This would be a pure baseball trade. Those are my favorite kinds of trades. So he says Dylan Carlson for Trevor Rodgers. Don't get too caught up in the player that they would be trading uh, Dylan Carlson for. I, I don't think I would do that personally. I'm not a huge Rodgers fan. However... What I do find interesting is the concept of it. Potentially giving up on Dylan Carlson midway through this season. Alex, for that to happen, what what do you think we would need to see this year? For the Cardinals to say, you know what, our best long-term move here is to trade away a guy that we once thought was going to be a significant part of our long-term future. It, it seems like a long shot to get to that point with this Cardinals team for how much they value controllable young players that they have high aspirations for. But there is a log jam in the outfield, and if that were to happen, that's going to be your best asset to go out and get yourself a ace-caliber pitcher. For, them, for the Cardinals to get to that point, a couple of things. Tyler O'Neill's regaining that MVP form. And Lars Newtbar is living up to the hype that you expected from him. Because if those two things happen, it's pretty plain and simple. Jordan Walker's not going anywhere. He's got one of those spots locked up. If Tyler O'Neill is the MVP, there's your everyday center fielder. And if Lars Newtbar lives up to the hype, there's your everyday other corner outfielder. You've got your three. Then I can see John Mozeliak mustering up the courage to say, okay, you know what? It's bit us in the past. But this is our best opportunity to get ourselves an ace, and Dylan Carlson might be the trade chip. I, I, I think it would take two things. I, I think it would take what you just mentioned, O'Neal and Nupar, playing well to say, okay, now we kind of can look at Carlson, and is he going to be a guy we can trade out outside the organization? I, I think the other would be it would have to take Carlson struggling because if Carlson ends up playing well and kind of reverts closer back to what he was in 2021, then I could absolutely see where the Cardinals say, you know what, maybe we don't have to necessarily trade him. We have four really good outfielders. We continue to run this rotation. So I, I think it would be kind of twofold for him. I, I think it would be where it is, hey, Carlson has to be struggling. Now, granted, that would really bring down the trade value in him. But also, Tyler O'Neill and Lars Newport have to just be playing really well for us to get to that point because otherwise I think they would look at it and go, there's no problem with having four really good outfielders. And even if Lars Newport is good and, and Carlson is good, it's okay to platoon him. It's okay to go with a split between those guys where you've got Carlson going against a lefty and Newpar going against a righties. Just maximize your lineup. So I, I think it would take both of those scenarios before they would say it's time for us to give up on Dylan In Carlson. In theory, I agree with you, but I think it's it, it's based upon a few different players. I agree with the outfielders that you mentioned, Alex. I don't think it has much to do with Jordan Walker because he's your future. He's going to be playing in the outfield every day, and that's not going to change. I think it also has to do, though, with what happens with Jack Flaherty. Because if you have a number one starter, there's I, I agree with where T-Bone's at. Having more talent in your outfields is a good thing. How many times have we seen this over the last few seasons where they go in with three guys that they believe in? You have no idea if that fourth outfielder is capable of starting, much less playing extended playing time. And then you get into the season and that fourth guy is playing a bunch of playing time. Like It happens every year. So you're going to end up seeing more of Dylan Carlson this year, I would guess, than what you're expecting to right now. So... If you need a number one starter, I can see how you would say, you know what? We're going to use Dylan Carlson to get that guy. We need to go find somebody that can help us. Maybe it's a Shane Bieber or somebody that is the equivalent of that. And Carlson's a part of that trade. But if you don't need that number one starter, then I think it makes more sense to just keep Dylan Carlson. And he's a part of your long-term future. And maybe O'Neal's the one that's traded in the offseason. And then you're going into next year and it's, 
Carlson, Newt Bar, and Walker. Like That's totally possible for next year's opening day outfield. But I think it is both what happens with those two guys in their outfield and then also... It's a weird way to go about it, but I do think Jack Flaherty has a lot of say in this as well. Well, and it also comes down to can Carlson get you with that piece that you need sure. at the deadline? Because if he struggles to the point that T-Bone made, I don't know if he does get you an ace. And that's not a reason to trade a Dylan Carlson if he's not getting you that superior pitcher for your rotation. In that sense, teams might look at it and say, yeah, we'll take Carlson, but we also need more. And there's no way I'm going to start digging into my depth in terms of system that I need those assets for. If Dylan Carlson's not the core piece that gets it done. The thing about it is as much as you have that log jam in the outfield and you want to have all of those pieces, you look at, okay, who else is coming up through the outfield? And I'm not sure you have another guy, but how long are we going to sit on this Dylan Carlson train if he doesn't have the season that you're hoping for this year and say, well, we believe he's going to get back to that point because I think you've done that in the past with other outfielders where you've tried to cling on as long as possible and it never panned out and maybe you didn't get the return you could have. I don't know that they've done... Who have they done that though with? Because I like I hear that a lot, Alex, and I'm not calling you out for it at all, but I hear that a lot and I'm, I'm just not sure that I totally agree with it. I think they've tried with guys... I think they've more given up too early than they have hung on to guys too too long, though. Like Harrison Bader, at one point, they could have traded for Zach Wheeler. It's something that a lot of people bring up. But Zach Wheeler also had no control left. Like, they weren't going to re-sign him to the contract that he eventually got with the Phillies. That was when he was with the Mets still. I felt that way with Randall Grichik because there was so much like it, it honestly felt a little like Tyler O'Neill, where there was so much hype around the power that he possesses and people were like, Oh, this could be a 40 home run hitter. And it was okay, but we believe he can get to that point. And it was year after year after year with the strikeouts happened and it just never panned out. And then you're like, okay, but now that's gone. And Steven Piscotty's different because you traded Steven Piscotty uh, for different reasons, of course, with health with his mom. But it also felt a little like you were holding on to Steven Piscotty because you felt like that potential was there. Maybe. I. It only ended up being three years with Grichik. I think it just feels like longer when we're watching it because it's like this never changes. It's the same guy every year and we're watching the same results repeatedly. But like year one with Grichik was awesome. It felt like this was the next big thing. He ended up with a 877 OPS. Year two, it was like and on base percentage below 300 the strikeouts are becoming a, an increasingly big problem and then by year three we all knew like this is just not gonna work and then they traded him right away so I, I i'm totally with you in terms of like maybe that was one year too long and by year two they should have made the call but then the problem is like after year two sometimes they do make those calls and then they go on Randy to become Rosarena. Randy Rosarena mm-hmm. and um, they end up getting that well, opportunity. And that's also. the hard part with Dylan Carlson, because you know that the potential is there. And is that a guy that gets and see, that's the thing, like Cardinals fans get upset after a guy gets traded to another team. But sometimes it is just circumstantial to where maybe that player was never going to excel at the level you wanted him to in the spot when he gets an opportunity elsewhere and he excels. It's not so much of how oh, you made a mistake. It's maybe he wasn't going to hit that potential with that team. And that's where you get back to Dylan Carlson of, look, if he doesn't live up to the expectations that were being one of those top three guys and Walker gets there and O'Neill gets there and Lars Newpar becomes a player that BK and I are expecting. It's not a mistake. If Carlson goes on to be a star somewhere else, it's just maybe he wasn't going to get to that spot See, here. I, I think to that point, I, I think if, if he does still play well and those other three guys are playing well, and to your point, BK Jack struggles and they need to go get an ace. They have the farm system to where I don't think they need to include Carlson in a trade. And I wouldn't if that's the case. If he is playing well, even as the quote-unquote fourth outfielder, 
and that's what he'll be labeled as, but he won't be because he'll be rotating in and out with all these guys. I would still keep him on the roster because, he's, one, he's got more control, and, two, do you really trust Tyler O'Neill to repeat again if he does have a good season? I don't. When I look at Tyler O'Neill's baseball reference page, it's a lot of inconsistency. We know the injury history that he has, and he's not a guy that in two years that I, even if he continues to play well, that I want to put on a big contract just because of all the inconsistencies I've seen. So if Carlson plays well, I still want him here on the roster and don't want to use him as trade bait. I would much rather pull from the pipeline than I would then trade Dylan Carlson. getting a number one starter, the pipeline that you're pulling from is is Mason Mason Wynn. So, like, you're basically saying I'm choosing to trade a future potential all-star shortstop at the most important position, arguably, in the sport, other than maybe your number one starter, instead of trading Dylan Carlson. And that shortstop that we're talking about, I believe, has real star potential. I don't know at this point if Carlson has star potential. And don't mishear this. This is not me saying that Dylan Carlson can't be a good player. I think he absolutely can be. But I think, like, we've talked about this in the past whenever we talk to prospects people. They say Andre Ethier is, like, a fair comp for what, in a best-case scenario, potentially, Dylan Carlson becomes. I think he's a 260 hitter that gets on base at a decent clip and hits 20 home runs a year. That's a really nice player. You would love to have that guy in your lineup every day. I'm not sure that's what's preventing me from getting a number one starter. I, I think my only... Because I, I don't disagree. I would not trade win. But I, I think my only kind of counter to that would be, do you necessarily need to get the starter at this deadline, or can you do it in the offseason? Well, you said that it's a failure if they don't get advance in the postseason, and the way that they advance in the postseason is by getting that number one I, starter, I, so I guess I, it depends. I think it is, <laughs> but I, I, how would the front office view it? I, I don't think they would. I think they would view it as a success, and I, I think they could build momentum off of it. If they said, you know what, the market was too pricey for a ace like Shane Bieber, I'm just going to throw his name out there. I we ended up just getting say another num- like number two and we're going to rely on just kind of throwing the numbers at it to be the number one and basically go with the same kind of rotation we had last year in the playoffs, but we kept Dylan Carlson we kept Mason Win oh and our plan is to go sign an ace in the offseason like well that I wouldn't only, believe that's I I know but that 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 would, <laughs> that should be the thought process if you're going to go that route because if Carlson's playing well. I, I think you don't trade Dylan Carlson just to go get the ace because you have four legitimate outfielders but, and they haven't had that in. But the a argument long you're time. using with Tyler O'Neill is if he plays well, how much are we going to believe that because it's it's a one off and how much? I mean, the same can be said about that, Dylan that's Carlson. Why, that's why I think you keep Dylan Carlson because I think Carlson, I think Carlson last year was the wrist. I, I do now watching his spring training, he looks different. He looks better against right-handed pitching. I think what you should do is. You should not probably trust Tyler O'Neill. Well, whatever you say his Tyler O'Neill's becomes. injury last year was the reason he didn't have success. But That's he's right. had it. He's had it constantly, and it's muscle issues where it is pulled hamstrings, dealing with something back tightness. Carlson's was kind of those fluky wrist injuries that do occur. I would say that Tyler O'Neill, Tyler O'Neill should not be a guy that should get a contract extension in St. Louis just because of the risk that's involved with it. Because yes, he can be an MVP. Or he can be like a 220 hitter that strikes out all the time, doesn't hit for power. Oh, and by the way, he's on the IL. I think there's a decent chance that your opening day outfielder next year is not Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson, but it ends up being Brendan Donovan. I was like, just going to ask that. I think your left fielder on opening day next year might be Brendan Donovan with Tommy, Tommy Edmund at second. or 
uh, Nolan Gorman at second base and Mason Wynn at shortstop. Well, and I was also going to ask the person. So I, I think that they've got a lot going into these kinds of decisions where it's like, hey, do you want four outfielders? Yeah, I would love to have four outfielders. They might still have that even without Dylan Carlson or Tyler O'Neill being a part of that conversation. Well, and the Dylan Carlson trade conversation also comes into play of the development of Alec Burleson. Does sure. he view as an outfielder? And then there's also the Joshua Baez that they're super high on. How does he continue to develop? Like they got a bunch of dudes and all of that That's is the like log jam. two, three, four years down the road. God only knows there's always a, another prospect that's on the way. The reason I bring this up is because I think Dylan Carlson, as much as he was fighting for a starting spot early on in spring training, and we've now seen how that goes, he might be fighting for his future in St. Louis within the first three months of his time here uh, this year. I this is It's the first time that I felt there's real pressure on Dylan Carlson. I felt like they kind of artificially placed it upon him at the end of last season after the trade deadline when they sent Harrison Bader elsewhere, but he was going to be playing in center field even if they didn't trade Harrison Bader because Bader was hurt. This year, there's pressure to perform in a significant way. I'm really curious to see how he responds to that because you're right, T-Bone. It very well could have just been the wrist injury last year, or maybe it's something that the league figured him out in some way. So I, I'm curious to see what that looks like. I'm curious to see how he plays into their decisions at the trade deadline. More likely to happen coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. Let's start with this one. This comes from you, boys. More likely to happen. Mizzou wins the SEC East this year. All right, option B. Football or basketball? Should have clarified. There's really not an East in basketball, but I'll do this for you anyways. Mizzou wins the SEC East in football. Man, it's option B no matter what it is. Man, or Dennis Gates a... makes the Final Four next yeah, year. So Dennis Gates situation. makes Final Four. Uh, Mizzou might win like six games, and we're talking about Whoa. drinks being on the hot seat. Oh. Yeah. I don't know how what? much I'm. They... I don't know how much I'm in on drink right they now. They don't have a center right now, and they might coach. not have a quarterback. It's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, and I mean, let's let's be real. Like drinks coaching hasn't like taken that next step to where like, oh hell yeah, they got the right guy. On the plus side, they only play LSU next year out of the West. And they've got K-State once again in the non-con. Oh, but they get to play Memphis. So that's That fun. might be a loss. That'll be a loss. It's not a great schedule for Yeah, them. I'm going to go more likely Dennis Gates makes the final four. Yeah. I am too. That, that, oh, good. That felt like an easy one. Sorry, Eli. I guess this is all over. I'm I'm so in on Dennis Gates, guys. I am so, out so in. Eli Drinkwitz. He's in on everybody in the transfer portal. What? I don't know how they're going to make this work Who where they're cares? taking in 30 transfers and they only get 13 scholarships hey. and they've got like 10 of them coming back next year. Do some sketchy stuff, Dennis Gates. Get it done. I'm here for whatever this is going to require because some of the players they are interested in that seem interested in Mizzou, man, two, three years ago, these guys would not have been giving Mizzou a callback. So I'm here for it. Alex, uh, what do you have for more likely So we talked about uh, BK and I wanting to give Yakub Verana a contract extension. Oh, more yeah. likely to happen. Kapanen or Verana get a contract extension. I will go first. I'm going Yakub Verana getting a contract extension. I really like what we've seen from Kapanen. I think Kapanen's going to be valued by, by other teams in a way that he's going to say, mm, I don't want to sign a contract extension right now. I would rather just play this thing out and then when he gets to market, 
I think he could get like five million bucks a year from somebody, and I'm not sure that the Blues are going to value him to that degree. I would lean. I do think he fits more with what Craig Burby likes to do, though. I actually would lean more towards Kapanen in the sense of Kapanen has seen the other side of the fence where he's played with superstars like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and never really fit in, played with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, never really fit in. And I believe he views this team as like, hey, this is the spot for me because I mesh with other guys. It's not a superstar led team. It's a team by committee. And that bodes well for a Casperi Kapanen. What do you think? Like four million bucks? Uh, Yeah, honestly, probably around what he's making right now. Three, three and a half. If you get him for two, three years, he and Pavel Puchnevich have been a really fun tandem. Can I ask you a question? That sure. I'm sure somebody's going to get mad about. That was at 11:45. But, but now that these guys, now that this player is no longer in St. Louis, I think we can have an honest conversation about him. He's a better player than uh, Ivan Barbashev, right? Kapanen? Yeah. Can we all agree he's a better player than Ivan Barbashev? Like you upgraded that spot in your lineup when Barbashev left and Kapanen came in. Man, I, I feel you like it's true. You, uh, you know you want to agree with me. You know I feel like they're such similar players. The only difference is like Barbashev was more physical than Definitely. Kapanen was. Kapanen, in my opinion, is a better defensive player than Ivan Barbashev, and I think they're around the same goal-scoring ability. So I would say they're pretty even. <laughs> I think Kapanen's a better, like, cycle game player. I, and I think Kapanen's got more skill in terms of goal-scoring ability than Ivan Barbashev, but Ivan Barbashev was more of a net front presence player. I think you replaced Ivan Barbashev with Sammy Blay. Less offense, more physicality. Sure. I see. I would take I would take Kapanen in the more likely to happen, and I would take Kapanen over Barbashev just because I think he's a little bit better of a goal scorer than Barbie. Uh, but I, I think I think Verana, though, yes, he does have the off ice issues. Maybe that's why he would take a contract extension. If I were his agent, I'd be telling him to you need to play this out because you got thirty goal potential. Tell Kapanen or Verana? Verana, oh. because you got thirty goal potential, and you're basically what the NHL is shifting towards is a speedster that's got a great shot to where I would tell him play it out you score 30 goals somebody would be willing to pay you your dollar amount on the on the open market yeah, so I, yeah. I would say it's captain that I think would be back but it always comes down to a player like that if you're comfortable because if Verona tells his agent I love St. Louis then the agent's gonna be like all right let's keep him here and then you go to the general manager and say let's figure this out typically if you were a goal scorer like that you would be like yeah we're gonna play this one out but I wonder if an agent with Verona because of his past issues says if you're comfortable, let's figure this out to where we could get you the right amount of money. T-Bone, what do you got for more likely to happen? Well, we were just talking about him in the last segment. More likely to happen, Dylan Carlson or Mason Wynn is in the starting lineup regularly pa- past the trade deadline. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to go Mason Wynn. Guys, I think I I have... Uh, He's falling ahead over I've the shark with Mason Wynn. Gross. I know that I'm too excited about him. I understand it. But this is the exact type of player that gets me excited. Imagine Tommy Edmond, but with more power and a better on-base percentage. Like, that's the potential of Mason Wynn. He's got probably better athleticism. Oh, and by the way, Francis- the best infield arm in all of baseball. Francisco Lindor is what we were told. It seems less ridiculous to me now than it did at the time. As much as I believe you on that side of it, I would still take Dylan Carlson post-trade deadline because I just don't view them giving Mason Wynn the opportunities in the starting lineup this season, unless there's an injury. I view this as Mason Wynn, next year you will be starting shortstop for us on opening day, but right now, go be starting shortstop and the best player in AAA this season. I, that's kind of where I lean is I think they think the best 
case scenario for Mason Win this year is just to spend the whole year at AAA. And then maybe you call him up in like September and you play him a little bit, get him a taste of big league life, and then go into 2024 with the expectation of him basically in the walker role, come in and try and win the job and take it from Tommy Edmond. But I, I think it's more likely to be Dylan Carlson because I, I could see where they don't trade him. Or like if someone's having a great year, say it's Tyler O'Neill, and they say, you know what? He's having a really good year, but we're probably not going to re-sign him. Maybe we can put him in a trade package to go get something that helps us. Or Lars Newpar, who has a ton of value, as we saw. So I would say more likely Dylan Carlson's a regular starter. I think it's very possible. But, man, how could you not be excited about what Mason Wynn did in spring training where he had a 395 on base percentage and a 550 slug for a guy that is a glove first player? I've been told spring training doesn't matter. I have been told that also. I I believe it for the most part. I felt that way about Paul DeYoung last year. Mason really tested me last with year. my ability to not count what we see in spring training. This... The stuff he did, though, was translatable. That play that he made at second base where he then threw out, speaking of Francisco Lindor, down the first baseline, an unassisted double play. I mean, that's... Tommy, Come I on. could do that. Yeah. Come on. There's like three players in baseball that can do what he and did. Paul DeYoung did that last year. Paul DeYoung can't touch his toes right now. <laughs> Coming up next. I'm not going to make you? a joke about that. That's not funny. That's really I sad. Could. Chris Prove Kerber, it. the voice of the blues, next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and otherwise known as T-Bone. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're going out to the hotline to be joined by the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. Curves, how you doing today, man? Brandon, doing well today. How are you? Uh, doing very well. The blues are doing pretty well right now. I'm kind of conflicted on how to feel about that because it's great to see them performing. It's not so great to see them dropping in the draft standings, <laughs> but I'll live with it, Curbs. I wanted to ask you about who I think was the star of last night. I did end up earning uh, first star in that game, and that's Jakub Vrana who now has eight goals since March 9th. That's over the course of 11 games. He's a plus five while on the ice as well. Curbs, the only players in the NHL that have more goals in that stretch than Jakub Vrana are Matt Boldy, who's I, I think had three hat tricks in that stretch, and Clayton Keller. What are we watching right now with Vrana? Can you put some context on this? Well, I think we're seeing a hockey player whose confidence is starting to come back. I think his statement, his comments uh, in Detroit when you know when he met the media uh, when the Blues were up there, I think spoke some volumes when it said that he was really hoping he was hoping that he would have a chance to regain the trust of the, of the Red Wings after, you know, the, the situation that he had that happened. And again, I don't even know what those details are. It was, you know, he, he went and he uh, took part in the player assistance program. So um, I think he, he's a player that had a chip and something to prove on his shoulder. And so he's, he's a player that was worthy of Steve Eiserman giving him a $5 million contract. And now the blues have Detroit eating half that salary this year and next. So, to get this player at $2.5 going into the final year of a contract with something to prove, you have a highly motivated player. You also have a player that's coming in, and yeah, he's on the third line right now with Braden Shen, but he's playing with Braden Shen and Brandon Sott. You know, and Braden Shen, once again, is on pace for another 60-point season and uh, and just another terrific year with the Blues. Brandon Sott could clip the 20-goal plateau yet again. 
So he's playing with really good players. Some of the time he's spent in the top six as well. So he's getting opportunity that maybe some of that opportunity wasn't there to play with some veteran guys. So how do you put that all into perspective in terms of next year? I really don't know because the other thing right now is, you know, these guys, these guys are playing for pride. They're not playing for a playoff spot. They're not playing with all the pressure of, of, of everything going on. So um, I, I think you have to be somewhat encouraged and excited with what you're seeing and there's potential. Uh, but at the same time, you just kind of got to temper it and, and keep it in a certain, I think, realm of perspective there. Curbs, I love the comment from Falk last night on our postgame show where he told you and Joey, quote, we're more dangerous up front when you asked them about Verona and Kapanen and, of course, Sammy Blay. And Joey and I were talking postgame just about the identity of this team. Are we starting to see them become that transition team that Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube have been trying to acquire over these last few seasons? No, I, I, I don't know, Alex, to be honest with you. I, I think uh, because really what Justin Falk was referring to uh, is we're more dangerous. I, I think it was he was referring more to the question about speed and, and what they've brought, and, and their speed has definitely been noticeable. You know, But I, I don't think that you're putting Verona or Kappen in, in, in the realm of Ryan O'Reilly you know, in, terms of, uh, in, in terms of how good that hockey player is yet. It's so, you know, for me, when he's talking about dangerous, he's talking about the speed that, uh, that you had. Vladimir Tarasenko never used his speed uh, enough. And Ryan O'Reilly obviously was starting to slow down. So, you know, for me, seeing those two guys that have the kind of skill they have, the ability to shoot the puck, uh, capping in the, the defensive responsibility with that speed, I, I think that's where we're seeing the difference. It, in reality, when it comes down to, you know, the identity of this team, we're not going to know that, guys, uh, until we won't even know. I don't even think we're going to know it in August when Doug Armstrong said, you know, when you start to have your team pretty much set. Because the real identity of this team is going to start to show when the Zach Deans, the Zach Boldukes, and the Jimmy Snuggeroods start to, to turn pro and determine what you really have. Because part of this turnaround and how this team is going to play is really hinged on that next wave of players coming in. Am I, over, opinion, at least. am I overestimating the impact that we've seen from Verona then? Because, Curbs, I've been super excited by it. He he looks like a potential 30-goal scorer, and he's been close to that in his recent past. I, I brought up today the possibility of, I mean, he's going into the final year of his contract next year. It is a totally reasonable number for the Blues. I would even consider approaching him about an extension to try to lock it in at a much lower number than would otherwise uh, be available to you. Am I overreacting to a small sample size that we've seen from Verona? It's okay if you say yes. I, I do that sometimes. Yeah, no, no. Here, no. Here's the thing. I don't know if you're overreacting. I don't, I don't think anybody's overreacting. I, I think I think you've seen signs that, that are very encouraging and reasons to be positive. You know, but if you listen to the comments of Craig Berube when he talks about Verona, he talks about yeah, we, we you clearly see his speed and his offensive ability. You know, what, what you don't see yet is some of the de- defensive responsibility that is so critical to Craig Berube. Um, and, and so that's why I, I think you're seeing a lot of the positives and, and a lot of good things. So there's reason to be, you know, optimistic and, and, and maybe even excited. But I just, I don't, I think you want to temper it and not go too far. Like, for example, yeah, the Blues are getting him at a great rate, but Verona looks at himself as a $5 million player right now because that's what he's getting paid half by us, half by Detroit. You know, uh, there's absolutely no need with any of these guys to rush into re signing them and into doing anything because, like I said, you know, the next real step for this team is going to be how do you manage the draft? What players potentially come out of that draft, both in terms of either pick or 
do you turn it into an NHL player with some of the picks you have? How does that look? Is there somebody on the free agent market that Doug is interested in? And then how do these guys fit in? So I think what Doug did, and 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 he did this, he did it a little differently than he did in you know, like 2010 to 2014, but he still did it. He went out and he found two veteran hockey players that have been around the league now for you know four, five, six years, going into their 26th year, 27th birth year, and and on expiring contracts, so they're motivated. He was able to get one via trade. Uh, and he was able to get one off the waiver wire. And he brought in veteran players that you can rely on. So you don't have to play Jake Neighbors in the top six if he's not ready or maybe needs to take a step back. You don't have to rush somebody else in there, and the team still can be competitive. And, you know, if, if you can do a turnaround where you're starting to make that U-turn while you're playing as a 500 team, boy, that, that could leave you in some really good shape. So I don't, I don't, I don't think it's it, it's wrong to look at it that way, Brandon. I, I just think you've got to keep it still in certain perspectives of where this entire team is trying to go over the next few years. Final question for Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Kerbs, I, I do wonder, we've seen the Blues right at the bottom of the league when it comes to face-off wins since the trade deadline. That's not a big shock, especially with Buchnevich right now uh, taking so much time at the center position He's winning about 35% of his face-off since making that full-time transition over to the center position curbs. That's not like the end-all be-all of being a center, but that number does feel like it might be too low to be a full-time guy at that position. What have you seen from him so far in his transition? Well, I'll I'll tell you, instead of my opinion, I'll give you Steve Ott. I talked to Steve Ott about this in Anaheim. I said, okay, you've now seen him at center for about 10 games. Where is he at? Uh, one, you've got a guy that's eager to learn, wants to learn, that's coming back. He might play a game or he's going, uh, you know, he, he's having a hard time against a right-hander, and he comes back to the bench and he says, what am I doing where I need to go? And there's two things Steve, Steve Ott said. He said the one thing he's still working on is just getting that base, knowing, knowing just how to line up so you're comfortable on it. He goes, that's going to come. The other thing he's doing, he goes, he's building a Rolodex. He goes, you go around the National Hockey League. He goes, he's going to, and this is before the L.A. game, right? He goes, he's going to go up tomorrow night and face off against Kopitar a few times. And, uh, and, and he's going to start learning how Kopitar does it. Then the next time he plays Kopitar, it's going to get even better. He goes, and this is just part of a process. So uh, they are not at all disappointed in where he's at in that category because they know he's working on it. Steve Ott is a really good coach, maybe one of the best face-off coaches in the National Hockey League. And there's so many little nuances of, you know, where, where the skate of the linesmen are and things like that that most people don't think about, that from the coach's standpoint, they are perfectly fine with where he is right now and, and continue to think he's got real potential to be there, and they're going to give him the time to grow into it. How good does he need to be on the dot to be able to be a full-time center, in your opinion, Curbs? Well, I mean... Not right now. I'm not saying, like, tomorrow night he needs to be immediately a 50% winner, but... When I looked the other day, the worst like full time center at the position when it comes to the face off wins was like forty three percent. Does he need to get there? Is that kind of well? Yeah. Listen, keep in mind that I think last year I think Robert Thomas finished right at fifty, right? And uh, and prior to that was in the the mid forties, and this year's finally taken off. So you you look at that scenario. Ivan Barbashev was a pretty regular center and was always around forty forty five. He'll have to get to that forty five range. To me, but I, I just think that he's got the kind of hockey smarts and the hockey sense that he could get to, to the fifties and be better than that. It's just going to take time because guys, it, and we ought to do this. We ought to, have to get Steve out on uh, at some point here, maybe once the season ends, because 
when you talk face-offs with Steve Ott, Deal. and you think of Sign some of up. the nuances and stuff he's doing, like, guys, this it, <laughs> it it is so much more detailed than most people realize, and uh, we maybe could probably help some fans out with it. Because stuff like just the angle, just the angle of where, where the other center stick is tells you how it's going to go. He, he, he gave me a hell of an education in Edmonton. You know, earlier in the year when we were talking about faceoffs and, and this hockey team, and so it's uh, there's some nuances to it, and it takes some time to learn. But you have a smart hockey player and a good hockey player that wants to learn it, and to me, those are the key pieces there. Curbs, you tell Steve Ott, yeah. come on, we will sign up for that whenever we'll he's available. The season's to do over, so. uh, Curbs. We appreciate the time, man. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Enjoy the trip. All right, guys. Have an awesome week. Thanks. Absolutely, same to you. That's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, joining us here on 101 ESPN. I guess this is the thing that if you are optimistic about Buchnevich at center, the timeline of where the Blues are at right now does help you. Because him losing draws, if you were competing for like the postseason this year and next, I think it could require a move for him from center to the wing. Because I, I don't think that you can continue going this route where he's winning 35% of his draws. It's just too much. Uh, because he's going to play 20 minutes a night. He's your best. He's one of your best players. You want him on the ice as much as possible. And right now, winning at this kind of a rate, it it is a liability for you. Like it's part of your defensive problems. But if they truly believe that with another year of experience at center, he can get better there. He can get to 45 plus percent. Well, then sure, I, I could understand how in 2025. You have a legit number one center in Pavel Buchnevich, and he's a guy that you're building around. Look, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when the transition started for him of being the centerman this season, and, and I, I brought up the comp to Patrice Bergeron, and all it comes down to is winning faceoffs because he's got the defensive ability, and you know he's got the points ability because he's nearing 70 points on the season. Uh, it really comes down to winning those faceoffs, and if you had to you know, sit here and tell me, make a decision right now, center or wing, I'd keep him at center because he is knowledgeable enough to to win those faceoffs, and you're working with Steve Ott. It comes down to the commitment from Pavel Buchnevich in the offseason. If he's still unsure, and Darren Pang told me this a couple of weeks ago on pregame, when, when he's talked to Pavel Buchnevich and he said, yeah, there's just some still uncertainty there of him being the centerman, of not knowing if he wants it or not. The offseason conversation that he has with Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube and the coaching staff of is center your spot next year. If it's a definitive yes, and that's the area he's working on in the offseason, all it comes down to winning is faceoffs. And I think you can get to that level for him. It's not like it's a hard thing to learn. It's just the commitment to it, which I think he can get there. The the passing ability is there. The playmaking ability is there for Pavel Buchnevich. It's all about winning those faceoffs. I think the other problem is Nikita Alexandrov, when he was up, was at 35% in terms of his faceoff wins. So far this year, now it's a down season for him. In his career, he's, especially here in St. Louis, been a little better than this, but Braden Shin's at 46% on Mm -hmm. the season right now. Now, Robert Thomas has been good on the dot this year. He's winning a little more than 50% of his draws. He's he's been much better in that category. But I don't know that you can have Braden Shin winning at 40%, Nikita Alexandrov winning at 35%, and Pavel Buchnevich winning at 35%, and feeling good about that going into next season. So... If you want to try it again and Buchnevich is into it, I totally understand why next year when you're not really trying to compete once again, you can make that work. I would just be a little concerned about whether or not that's going to improve enough to be an every night center. Can he play that position in a pinch? Like if you've got, 
shin out with an injury or Thomas is out for the night with an illness, whatever. Can Buchnevich kick over? Absolutely. And you can play him top line minutes in that spot. I don't know that it, I don't know that long term. I was excited about it at first. I don't know that long term. This is something that you can have with this group of players around him. You got to have somebody who can win faceoffs. And if you're not winning faceoffs in terms of the go-to guy, you're in trouble because you're losing them on the penalty kill. You're losing them in big time situations, especially when your goaltending is pulled and you got an empty net. If you're not winning the faceoff, that's going into the back but of your net. We saw last night on the penalty kill yeah. late in the game. It's how they tied the game. The Blues. I think it was Shin that was out there that ended up losing the draw, and boom, right away. Yep. Immediately a power play goal for Vancouver. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We talked about this a couple of minutes ago, and I've already forgotten. I'm in the man cold spot, uh, spot right now. What's Which one t- of you had the junk drawer story today? What's a man cold? Yeah. You never heard of the man cold? No. Oh, it's when you get a cold, but you're a man, and so you're a total wimp about it. That's me. That Anytime be- I get a cold, I might as well be down for the count for the next two weeks. Wouldn't. But like it might man, be specific to me. But like a man cold feels like it's oh, like so I'm powering through this bad boy. Yeah, no, mm-mm. that's not how I treat it. Maybe that's how you guys are. I'm Great. sure T-Bone so would definitely. Me and treat Alex it. at Ballpark Village tomorrow. I mean, uh, no BK. I mean, you hurt me over the last three weeks. Vegas one, BK zero is basically what I'm saying. Oh my, it's like Man, you're five like nothing you're like a week Vegas. removed from Vegas. I know. I'm still, my body is still rejecting me. Well, as John Mayer once said, your body is a wonderland. Thank you. I appreciate not that. complimenting so you're, you. You're doing the junk drawer story. <laughs> I don't know, man. Cole, who do you think's doing those <laughs> junk drawer stories? I'll take the I junk. Had a, I had a fifty-fifty <laughs> proposition here, and I, I feel like I struck out. I mean, unless you're like severely man cold, then. It's like 33.3% chance where it could have been you and you just completely forgot. <laughs> I'll take the junk drawer today, though, because I, I got a game I'd like to play with you guys. It's called Am I a Bad Dad? Oh, well, we, play this, again? we play this game a lot. You know, I've taken my daughter to a daycare with a diaper filled. Um, so, my wife, so my daughter goes to daycare two times a week. Just, you know, it helps us out. And uh, my wife always kind of reacts to what the teachers say because she's the one that picks her up. I drop her off in the morning. She picks her up. So I got home last night and we're, my wife and I are chatting about our day and, and I asked, you know, how, how was Adelaide's daycare? And she goes, well, she uh, she had a rough day. I go, what does that mean? She said, well, she apparently uh, decided to storm her way through daycare yesterday and push kids over. And now she's picking up chairs and throwing them. That sounds like your kid. And, and I said, I'm sorry. She, she's picking up chairs and throwing them. And she said, well, she's not throwing them. She's picking up chairs and trying to move them. And when one of the teacher asked, teachers asked her not to, she throws it before they can take it from her. And then she laughs at them. <laughs> yeah. No, now, when we get def- to the first of all, before you get any further, <laughs> she's a, definitely seen you do this. Yeah. I don't throw chairs. No, I'm sorry. I don't throw chairs. I, I get, uh, you know, I, I have T-bone. to walk. I have to walk into other rooms at times when, when we throw our dinner on the on the floor and just scream into a pillow. But now then that, I walk back out that, with a smile that, on my face. That feels right. Now, the part that we get to this game of am I a bad dad is when my wife. I thought tell- that was the part. No, 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 no. That's just I'm that's saying, toddlers. Yeah, yeah. Saying, yeah. She's two years old. This is going to happen. The part she of it is when my wife told me this, I started laughing. 
Oh, no, I do think it's funny. So I think, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, she goes, well. Wait, I have a follow-up question. Yeah. Was Adelaide in the room? No, when Adelaide, was, Adelaide was asleep by okay. this time. No. And my wife's like, yeah, she's like, it's just that, that terrible twos, a toddler stage. And she's learning. And I said, should we be concerned? And she goes, no, nah, I think it'll be okay. And I just started laughing because I can only picture. First of all, my tod- my two-year-old is like in the 97th percentile of height. So she like towers over everybody can only picture my toddler who's walking through daycare of children who still have binkies in their mouths of just pushing kids over like football face planting them and then chucking chairs i thought you're i thought you were going to go with that route which is like we need to get her signed up for x y and z which sports was wwe yeah like alex is gonna have his daughter in soccer and the first thing that he's gonna teach is how to slide tackle like I thought that, that was that was the path that we were going down was Alex was going to say, am I a bad dad for taking this and running with it and making it into a positive? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> this is honestly this is yes. a good thing. You are strong. We need to get you under the basket. Let's build you into a post player. I'll, I'll tell you where my mindset I'm is. Scholarships here. Yeah. Well, that but also no, nobody is ever going to mess with my daughter as she continues to get older because now she knows how to use items around the house as weapons. I, you know, I don't think you're bad at on this one. I think it is kind of a funny story. Now, if she was in the room and it was like, yeah, we shouldn't be doing this Adelaide and Alex is over there like laughing. Yeah, that, that would, be, would bad. be bad. Yeah, no, I get that. But the, just the mindset of because she is in this phase where you tell her no. And it's this maniacal phase where it's like, no, Adelaide, don't do that. And she'll stare at you while you're saying no while holding the chair. And then when you walk towards her to take it, she chucks it and then just laughs. Not only is this funny and you had the correct reaction. I am amazed by how many teachers are able to keep a straight face while they do their job. God bless these two teachers that, that do these daycare because there's about seven or eight kids in that class. And I mean, like my daughter is in that page again. Teachers are incredible. I'll take it a step further. So are daycare attendants because these two these two women that take care of my well, daughter and more take care of you. They basically do your job on a daily basis. Oh, well, the poop in the hours in the diaper look man it, it was a bad situation that i didn't realize there was poop until we got there and i didn't have any diapers mm-hmm. i supplied the diapers to them and they're like oh no we got it and they walked away that's not the problem here though the problem is my daughter is thinking she's in wwe a little bit of news to pass along this coming from john rothstein this is actually a really big story for mizzou basketball Temple has offered its head coaching opportunity to Missouri's C.Y. Young. He's expected to make a decision within the next 24 hours. C.Y. had one opportunity to be a head coach and then was basically banished to being an assistant for the last 11 years. I would be shocked if he doesn't end up taking this job. It's a really good opportunity for him, and I hope he goes off and crushes it. C.Y. was one of the top paid assistants in the country for a reason. He's an excellent recruiter. If you've ever heard C.Y. Young talk, he is a tremendous personality. This could be a really big loss when it comes to recruiting for Mizzou. But I do also think that it's positive for uh, Dennis Gates that his top assistant, after one year of being at Mizzou, when C.Y. has been at Florida State for the last 10 years, C.Y. was already offered an opportunity to go be a head coach elsewhere. So if you're looking at the positive, 
this is going to be a good opportunity for somebody else to come into that spot with Dennis Gates to be able to use that as a stepping stone, potentially. The negative, though, is Mizzou might be losing its top assistant this offseason after just one year under Dennis Gates. Does that hurt the recruiting in terms of the transfer portal, like now in terms of some of these guys? It's possible. It's possible. Because C.Y. Young's a really good coach, and he's super charismatic, and he's a guy that everybody wants to be around. Is he the one that's tied in that has the relationship with that one transfer portal we talked about yesterday? No, that kid is... uh, Smith Peters is okay. his, his coach. Yeah, name. from the, the the real tall one. I forget mm-hmm. what is uh, what team it was. Uh, John A. Logan is yeah. his former school. Oh, so yeah, I covered that school. That is the news for Mizzou. It sounds like Temple is offering their head coaching job to Mizzou assistant C.Y. Young. I'd be pretty surprised if he doesn't end up taking this, and good for C.Y. Young for getting this opportunity. Coming up next, what is the single most important thing that you learned about the Cardinals during spring training? I think all of us have a different takeaway. We'll tell you ours next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're going to do, believe it or not, a day early. So if you guys have any scenarios, we'll tell you if we are believing it or not coming up in about 10 minutes or so. 314-399-9646 is the place to get those texts in on the Air Comfort Service text line. The reason being, we'll be down at Ballpark Village tomorrow. Let's be honest. Our last performance in a live setting with Believe It or Not just didn't go well. So we're going to try to help us ourselves out there. We'll do that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. By the way, 101 ESPN is broadcasting live from the Budweiser Brewhouse inside Ballpark Village tomorrow for opening day. Cardinals home opener is finally here and we're going to be set up just steps away from the stadium. The opening drive. BK and Ferrario on the fast lane, all broadcasting shows live tomorrow at Ballpark Village. Our opening day coverage will be brought to you by Rawlings, Green Envy Lawn Care, and by Budweiser. Speaking of the Cardinals, there was a lot to learn in spring training. Now, I always tell you that spring training, you got to be careful. Take everything you see with a grain of salt because you can read way too much into it sometimes. I try to tell Tanner that, and then he tells me about how you know, uh, there's going to be somebody that we've never heard of that's going to win the Cy Young because of their performance yeah, in spring training. gets a little too aggressive with or the T-bone three. Taylor Modder making the team, but, you know, it's fine. You he were did only tell told us that. Early in camp. He'll make it for, like, two weeks, and then Paul DeYoung will be back, and then game over. John Nagowski. Um, yeah. T-bone? Better. I will start with you. If you could only say one thing, one thing that was the single most important thing that you learned about the Cardinals during spring training, it would be What? The number one thing for me, because I had two, but number one for me would be that the the middle infield is going to be great for years to come. And that is because we see Nolan Gorman make the adjustments and be able to play defense at second base. You saw he make the adjustment to hit that high fastball. Now, look, there's going to be something else that pops up that teams are going to start to expose on Nolan Gorman. But now that I've seen him, and again, it's early, but based on what I saw in spring training, he was able to go to the lab and work on it and get that correction figured out, and he's got 30 home run power. Oh, and you saw the future starting shortstop for the Cardinals in Mason Wynn. So the number one thing for me would be that the middle infield is going to be great for the Cardinals for years to come, and they were not wrong on that potentially. And that was a good one because I was going to go with Nolan Gorman has shown that he can play second base, but just so I can do different here. Uh, number one thing that I took away from this spring training is that teams are going to have a difficult time matching up against this offense. Um, I did not expect 
all of the guys who have the ability to hit in terms of Ali Marmol option. I mean, Juan Yepes was slated to be a part of the Major League roster last season, and now he's starting the year in Memphis because his spring training didn't go the way and other guys outperformed him. With Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, Tommy Edmond, uh, Alec Burleson, Lars Newbart, Tyler O'Neill, like go down the list. You have an offense that last season we said pitchers need to get to the point where they fear going up against it because there's no breathing room. Welcome to 2023, because after this spring training, your offensive lineup looks like it doesn't have breathing room. So I will start with this. It's kind of similar to what both of you guys said, but I'll start with this. And I want to continue on this, this kind of path. My first thing is Brendan Donovan. What we saw from him last year was not a fluke. He is real and he might be an all-star caliber second baseman for the Cardinals. He's really solid defensively, but more importantly, he added power to his swing in the offseason. What you saw from him during spring training was he had a double and four home runs. That basically matched the home run total from a year ago when he had five in the course of the entire season when he played 125 games in the big leagues. If you're able to get, let's call it 10 to 15 home runs this year, I don't think he needs to be some like power force. You're not turning him into Nolan Gorman overnight. That's not who he is. That's not the kind of player that he is. But if he can add 10 to 15 home run type of pop and get you 30 doubles this year, man, that is a totally different type of player than what we saw a year ago. And that power is going to change what he looks like. I would also add Lars Newpar. What I saw from him during the spring, and this is not just spring training, but also in the WBC, what we saw from him was not a fluke. He is legitimately a, a quality player in the outfield. So those two guys, the biggest thing for me, the the returns that you got, especially in the second half from Donovan and Newt with those guys being a legit one-two tandem at the top of your lineup, I think we saw the reason why we can believe in that once again in 2023 from spring training. Can, can I tell you the one thing that I learned that I'm not, like, I'm worried about as we get into sure. the regular season? I think it's the same as mine. The I think it, it's the same as mine. They don't have the swing and miss that they thought they were adding yep. to the bullpen. I yep. mean, they're pitching as a whole finished 29th in strikeouts per nine in spring training. And again, look, there were guys that were out at the WBC, but it did not end up being what they thought. You know, I, I think you saw flashes of it with a bunch of guys. Like you saw flashes with uh, Rodriguez, who's starting the year on the aisle, that he's got some swing and miss. You saw some flashes from Zuniga, who uh, in the WBC was really good with that swing and miss stuff. But they don't have anybody that consistently brings it to the board for them, both in the rotation and in the bullpen. So I, I think you already saw the flashes. And on top of that, this concerns with Jack Flaherty leaving camp that they're going to have to add swing and miss to whether it be the rotation or the bullpen. Now, the one good thing out of the pitching was that their walks per nine was the best in terms of the lowest rate in spring training, which is a positive sign that we're not going to be watching like what that 2021 team Mm -hmm. was where they'd walk the world. But I, I, I do have concerns about this because it was a concern of mine when they elected not to go get a proven reliever and go with basically throwing numbers at their problem in the bullpen. And right now it looks like it's going to be an issue for them. I think that's a fair one, and I think it's one of the things that we're going to be monitoring all season long. So, on the offense, because we all had something that was related to the offense in terms of a positive takeaway from spring training. I don't want to talk about the pitching. We've talked enough about the pitching. Oh. I had a buddy text me last night. I had a buddy text me last night, and he said, I think this has a chance to be the best Cardinals offense since 2004, and if you got me on truth serum for a moment, I think it has a chance to be better than the 2004 offense. Okay, well... That truth serum might be a lot of alcohol. Do you guys agree with that? No. Like, this is the circle of trust for just a moment. 
Circle nobody else. No, nobody. No, we're not talking about pitching. I told no, you that. Not doing circles. Nobody else is listening right now. It's just the three of us talking in a room, and there happens to be microphones in front of us. Let her on. Do you think there's any chance whatsoever that this has a chance to be a better slash deeper offense than what they had in 2004? This just tells you it's a terrible take because my Google won't even bring up the 2004 Cardinals roster. So that team had Albert Pujols, Scott Rowland, and Jim Edmonds, all of which had an OPS over 1,000 that season. That's where I do think it's it's really hard to match the top end of what that team had to offer. Those three guys were just freaking incredible. OPS pluses of 175, 170, and 160. That's absurd. I think the depth of your offense is better this year, though. Like, I think the closer comp for me in terms of what I'm expecting is 2013. And I think this offense, it's asking a lot. They've all got to hit the upside. But if this offense hits what we think can be the potential for it, it can be better in my mind than 2013. 04 is such a difficult comparison because of those three superstars. But the depth of that lineup was a little weaker, in my opinion, than what you potentially have this year. Is that fair? That was an offense that was created more like the San Diego Padres this year, where it's like we have superstars and then depth where it's like above average hitters, like slightly above average hitters. This year, I think you're going to have a bunch of dudes that are somewhere between 20 and 50 percent above league average, like throughout your entire nine man lineup. I mean, I I personally would rather have the four superstar lineup just because I, I think that's more dangerous than just a depth lineup just because of the power that they can bring to the table. So I, I think I would rather have the 4 lineup. Could I see where this lineup can get close to that and just do it more with, like, hitting you with their depth? Maybe. I, I, I still think the bigger chunk of this offense is going to come through that uh, three through five spot. And then there's going to be one or two guys that are hot at a time that's either hitting in the two hole or the six hole that's going to be bringing in runs. I don't think this offense is going to be the best in baseball. I think there's going to be spurts where it struggles at times still. But I, I, I still would have to say I would take the 2004 lineup over this one. I mean, the weakest spot of that lineup, but I understand what you're saying with the depth, but like I'm just looking at the, the starting guys. The weakest spot was Tony Womack, who was an incredible player that season for them. And yeah, I mean, Edgar Renteria, according to the numbers, this is just numbers. Don't don't think about what you remember of them. I, I, I remember all of these guys quite fondly as well. Edgar Renteria eventually was, he had some unbelievable seasons here uh, in St. Louis, that season wasn't one of them. His OPS was just 728. He didn't get on base very much. He did not have a high slugging percentage. It was not one of Renteria's better seasons here. At that point, Lankford wasn't the same player any longer. Uh, Reggie Sanders was just solid offensively, again, relative to league average, because you got to remember, this is 04 when everybody was slugging the hell out of the baseball. Um, and then Mike Matheny wasn't good offensively at that point either. And, um, so you had the end of the season with Larry Walker, too, and that's something that I think a lot of people remember is how unbelievable he was to finish out that season. So you had really like the four guys that were just superstars in that lineup. I don't know that you have the potential even for that this year. Like even the three, four, five, you've got two legit superstars. Wilson Contreras is very good. I don't know that he's going to give you this year what any of Pujols, Roland, or Edmonds gave you. And the other thing is, like, you just don't have an Albert. Nobody's Albert Pujols because you don't have, like, Shohei Otani or Mike Trout. That's what you'd have to be. And even then, it's below what Albert was that year. That's why it's always difficult, in my opinion, to compare anything to the 2004 lineup, not just within St. Louis, but anybody across Major League Baseball right now. 2013 is the team that I think is a, a lot more interesting to compare them to. And I do think they have the potential to be something pretty similar to that year's offense, where you had just 
top to bottom, really good hitters littered throughout that lineup. Yachty had one of his best seasons offensively. Alan Craig was still in his prime. Matt Carpenter was amazing. That was his 55 double season. Uh, Matt Holiday was still in his prime at that point in time. Carlos Beltran was awesome for that Cardinals team. Matt Adams had come up and was really good that year as the left-handed hitter for them. They just had from top to bottom like nine dudes that were... 20 plus percent above league average. I think that's what this team has the capability to do. That's what I'd be more comfortable with saying because I do think they can get to that point. Yeah, I, I think they can kind of comp to this 2013 team where there is that depth that can beat you. The that that 2013 team they didn't really have a multiple superstars. Like Holiday, I guess, would fit into that. Maybe Beltron then at that point, but he's kind of at the back end of his career. And Craig was never viewed as a superstar, and I don't think Matt Carpenter was either. But I, They're I would, all just really, really good. Yeah, so that's where I would say, you know what, I could see where th- this this season's offense could comp to 2013. Mm-hmm. And if they do, it's one of the best in baseball, man. Maybe the best in baseball, because like that... That team was awesome, and they're not remembered the same way that 06 was or 11 was because they didn't end up winning at all. But I think sometimes we underestimate just how good that 2013 uh, Cardinals team was because of what happened in the World Series with Big Poppy just going, I think it was 25 for 25 with 17 home runs. Don't quote me on those numbers, but it was something similar to that. Good thing you have him in your minor league system. You just got to call him up. (laughs) Little Poppy, he's Mm going to be a part of this. Somebody on the text line, uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. This is vintage BK getting overly excited about the Cardinals. Can I take a victory lap if the Cardinals end up being really good offensively this year? I guess we'll allow You can it. do that like in your own privacy. I'd prefer it not Am to be Am I allowed to? Because I've been told all offseason, BK, shut up. This offense isn't going to be that good. Shut up, man. What'd they do in October? No. If they end up being great this year, we are throwing a party in the studio. We'll have balloons. Oh, yeah. We'll I have streamers coming down. I'll have a I will be wearing there. a banana hammock. It's going to be a wild I'm ride out. in this studio. And I had to watch you in a, a lingerie Snow White costume. I'm not doing banana hammock. I'm I'll, exci- I'll take a vacation day. I'm excited Same. for this. We get to October and they're a top three offense in baseball. We're celebrating. Okay? What, what well, you they, better uh, before. Egg in the I was going to say you better because when they choke in the wild card round, then we'll, we'll have to forget that. about that party. <laughs> I didn't include that when in the statistics. they go 0 for 24 in the, in the uh, wild card round. T-Bone will wear a banana hammock with me. We'll no, I'll try to get him to do it from my backyard. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world. Concert on a Wednesday. Didn't expect it coming. Not the good kind. What? Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing at a prayer. Who could it be? What the hell was that? Believe it or not, it's just me. is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. I thought we didn't do this tomorrow and did Mm. it today so that that didn't happen. Well, I told you I've got a man cold, and I did my best. I really left it all out on the field. Look, man, I had a man cold last week, and I sang it, and it was that bad. (laughs) Man, you should be kicked out of the band for that. That's fair. TNA. 
No, I'm, I'm not even disagreeing. I'm not even disagreeing. You Somebody on the, the text line said, love the harmony, boys. You uh, could troll be the, or text. Oh, that's a troll. <laughs> that is a troll. You could be the roadie with us. All right, let's get to believe it or not. I'll start with this one. Guys, believe it or not, by the end of the season, Steven Matz has the best record on the team. Most wins among the Cardinals starters. Uh, I'm not going to believe this because as we know, when a pitcher pitches well, the offense doesn't back it up for Miles Michaelis last season. That man was pitching well probably 90% of the season and he came away with, what was it, 11 wins, 12 yeah, he wins? He finished below 500 last year. <laughs> Did he really? He was 12. There was not a, car- oh, never mind. There was a Cardinals pitcher. He finished 12 and 13. He should have finished with 19 victories last season. How and good been- Adam Wainwright was, he was 11 and 12. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not going to believe this one. Um, some of the times, although BK did just comp this offense to the 2004 Cardinals offense, I don't know this if they'll... 13. My buddy said 04. Yeah, I, you were in on that. wrong. Your buddy 04. You told Kara 04, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to lie about this one. I'm, I'm uh, not going to believe this one. I'm going to believe this. I, I think Steven Match has a huge bounce back year for the Cardinals. I, I've been really impressed. I said this, I think it was Friday of last week. He reminds me of what I saw from Michaelis last spring. And remember, last year on opening day, I said Michaelis would throw, I think it was like 170 innings, have a sub-3-5 ERA, and lead the team in wins. He hit every one of those benchmarks. So I I see a very similar season coming from Steven Matz because he's looked that good. Uh, I'm believing this. I think Steven Matz can be really good for the Cardinals. I think he's going to be for them what we are kind of anticipating from Jordan Montgomery. I think he could be very similar to what Jordan Montgomery was for them last My, year. how the opening day optimism is floating around. I didn't tell you what I thought the other guys were going to do because I am leaking confidence on Jack Ooh. Flaherty, which seems kind of important for uh, for the Cardinals. Is that the man cold that's making you leak? That's right. Alex, what do you have for Believe It or Not? So Believe It or Not, guys, the key for this Blues team to turn it around is Kairou and Thomas fixing their two-way game. I don't know if you saw this quote from Craig Berube. Uh, uh, Last night, Kairou played 13 minutes and 11 seconds. Thomas played 15 minutes and 53 seconds. This was Berube. Quote, him and Tomer, they weren't very sharp in the game. Defensively, they weren't very good. Soft on pucks, things like that. They weren't very good in the game, so I didn't play them very much. Last night, post-game, he talked about how the gaps have to be filled by players uh, in terms of not giving up those goals. We know the offense can happen, but defensively, as much as we point to the defenseman, uh, forward's going to have to tighten things up, and it starts with Kairou and Thomas. Uh, people are going to be mad at me for saying this, but I'm not believing this. I don't think you're going to win or lose based on Jordan Kairou and Robert Thomas being good defensively. Like, do they need to be better? Absolutely not. I don't think there's anybody in the world that would actually say, doesn't matter if Kairou and Thomas are even terrible defense. No, like everybody wants them to be better defensively. Do I think that is what is going to win or lose them games, though? I, I really don't. I don't. I, I think that those guys, you're going to win or lose based on whether or not they're producing offensively. The problem for Kairou and Thomas last night, even more so maybe than what they did defensively, is they're not producing offensively. And that's been a theme at times this season. When you're not getting something from them offensively, it even exposes more what they're doing negatively defensively. So um, that's where I stand on it. T-Bone, where are you at? I don't think I would believe it either because I agree with you. It depends more on what they're doing offensively. And I think it was when you talked with the Detroit writer about Verana. He said, you know, he's got defensive lapses, but he would probably tell you that he has to take away from his defensive game so he can be that 30-goal scorer. I think the same is true for Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas to where – do they need to be better defensively? Yes. Do they need to be great defensively? I don't think so because you need them to be great offensively. And if they try to be better on defense, it might pull some of their offensive capabilities away. So I'm not going to believe it. Can I add one thing, though? 
Hmm. I do think this is much more true for Robert Thomas than it is for Jordan Cairo. See, I, I would go the opposite of that one. Uh, and, and I would believe this too. Uh, the last four games that Jordan Cairo has been held pointless, the Blues are 3 0 1. So they're winning games without his contributions. Um, and the game where he scored two goals against the Kings, they lost that one. The game where he picked up uh, th- or one goal and one assist against Vegas, lost that game, and an assist against Minnesota, lost that game. The only reason I would say I'm believing this is if you're not reliable defensively and you're more of a liability, then you're not on the ice. And if you're not on the ice, how are you winning those games? And I look more so in maybe not so much defensively, but being smart with puck decisions. I look at the empty net goals that have been given up this season for St. Louis. When they pull the goaltender and try and sustain offensive pressure, how many times have we looked at that roster and said way too soft on puck possession along the boards, you're getting bumped off and it's going down the other way. That's the step that they'll have to take. If you want to take that step forward. Yeah. Be awesome. Offensively. I don't care. Um, That's kind of the way that I approach it, but I'm also not Craig Berube. And coaches care about this stuff way more than I do. And they should, honestly. Like, I I care about being a fun team that I enjoy watching. I really like watching games like last night. I find that to be really fun. I would imagine if I was a coach, I would be pulling my hair out while watching a game like that. I think Curves made the comment the other night saying, I don't know if Ruby's going to have any hair by the end of the season. Which totally understandable given what this team is defensively. T-Bone, what do you got for Believe It or Not? Believe it or not, the Cardinals will have a top five producing outfield this season. Ooh, that's a fun one. Where Just were a, they last year? Last year, they finished 11th with a 719 OPS. That's how I'm Thanks judging it. Thanks a lot, it. Bader. Uh, yeah, Bader. Uh, the top five teams, I'm shocked that the Angels were in this. I guess not. I guess he had Mike Trout to carry the load. But Mike <laughs> Trout and the Angels were fifth at 743. Dodgers fourth, Houston third, Mets second, Yankees first. Dodgers being that high is actually surprising given what they had around Mookie last year. They had superstar Trace Thompson. What are you yeah, talking I'm, about? He had a ridiculous season last season. Um... Man, this is interesting. I am going to say bleep it in. I believe in Lars Newbar. I've told you all all offseason that I think that one of their other guys besides Lars Newbar will give you all-star caliber production. My big question here is more about Walker. How do I think that Walker is going to do for them this year? I think he's going to be a, a little above league average offensively. So I'll say I'm in because I think that you get all-star caliber numbers out of Newt Bar, and I think one of the other guys ends up stepping up for them in center. So, yeah, I'll say in. I'll be optimistic with it, too. I think this is I'm relieving it. What'd you say? I said in. I realized afterwards my man cold went to my head and believe it. Are you going to be out tomorrow at Bush Stadium? Probably not. (laughs) Uh, I'm not believing that. This this relies on Tyler O'Neill. Um, if, if Tyler O'Neill does not regain MVP form, then I would say I'm not believing this one, but I, I believe in Tyler O'Neill. Um, I'm, I'm, I've been in with you on Lars Newpar, despite T-Bone's hatred for him. And then of course, Jordan Walker and Dylan Carlson. So I'm going to be optimistic and say, I'm, I'm believing this. T-Bone, believe it or not, there's any scenario in which you are actually in on Lars Newpar this year. Oh, yeah. I, there would definitely be a scenario in which I can be in on Lars Newport. I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. Um, I, Who was that a shot at? That felt like a, a subtle jab. Who was that a shot at? Uh, you read it how you will. But, okay. you know, BK hands it a lot of backhanded slaps. I figured I'd bring one of my own. Oh, fair, yeah, man. At least he directs uh, those backhanded slaps. Who was that sure you know. I think, I think we all knew. Yeah, that was at Alex. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I, I, he, would ha- he would have to put up 
better number. Like, basically, his second half, he'd have to do that for a sustained period uh, all season long. Because my my biggest concern with Lars Newport is he's more of the first half guy and that it was just kind of a flash in the pan. He would have to be consistent and consistently good for me to buy in before I would admit that I was wrong. And if he is, then yes, I would believe this. So are you believing your five. own? Yeah, I, I think they're going to have a top five outfield. I, I think Newport and Walker will kind of be kind of that second or third fiddle in this outfield. I, I, I'm still gung-ho on Dylan Carlson. I, I think he's going to have a really good year based on what I saw in spring. And then Tyler O'Neill looked really good at the WBC. So I'm going to believe this. Coming up next. Are we believing in what we're seeing with the Blues racking up all these points down the stretch? Sure doesn't seem like they are. They got a couple of guys that are going to be out for their next game. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. it for Shen. Into Verona. He scores! Bring out the Zamboni. Overtime game winner, Yakub Verona. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like right here on 101 ESPN last night. As the Blues were able to get a 6-5 win in overtime behind Yakub Verana. Yahoob. <laughs> Two goals Yahoo. for Yahoo. the Blues. He's been a big piece of what has been a strong finish to the season, depending sigh? on your perspective. Honestly, I, I agree with the sigh. I am conflicted, Alex. The Blues got beat 6-2. to two. On March 7th at Arizona, it was an embarrassing performance. Since then, they are 7-3-1. They have the eighth best points percentage in the NHL. Vancouver came into last night having won 10 of their last 12 games, and then the Blues are able to win that one in overtime. So even against the quality teams, or at least the ones that are playing well lately, the Blues are finding ways to get a win. I don't know if I'm happy about this. (laughs) Now, I will add... I'm not super mad about it. I fall somewhere in between where it's like they're not going on this run where they're just winning every game. They're not dropping from 6th or 7th to 15th in the NHL draft lottery right now. Yeah, they're pretty damn close to it. They went from sitting right around 8th for the most part to right now they're at 10th. And they're kind of tied. They're actually tied right now with Vancouver and Detroit for 8, 9, and 10 in terms of the draft slots. And they have the tiebreaker if it were to end with regulation victories. Correct. Oh, yeah, I know. So when you look at it, Alex, how do you feel about the Blues winning these games right now? Uh, uh, it's a measuring stick. And I said this on postgame last night. Yes, they're winning and not to take anything away from them because everybody's talented in the NHL. But here's the teams that they beat. San Jose, Columbus, Washington, Winnipeg, Detroit, Detroit. I'm sorry, Detroit, Anaheim, Vancouver. Other than I guess I could argue Winnipeg. You're expected to beat these teams. Vancouver, you could argue also because they were playing some red-hot hockey. But, like, you're better than San Jose. You're better than Columbus. You're better than Detroit. You're better than Anaheim. You lost to Minnesota, Vegas, L.A., and then the shootout loss to the Detroit Red Wings. This was expected. This was the easier portion of the schedule. You know what the rest of the season looks like for you? 
Chicago. I expect them to win that. We'll see. Nashville, who's three points out of a playoff spot and just beat Boston. Boston. Philly, who's right there on your heels. Rangers, Minnesota, Dallas, Dallas. So this, as much as the Blues were playing poorly, it was kind of expected for the pieces that they got. And it is a, a nice surprise for how well their offense has performed. So, But this was the measuring stick. Like, to me, this tells you that you're better than these teams that are in the middle of the rebuild, but you're not where the playoff contending teams are. You're right there in the middle. And even when you look back to when they were playing really poorly right prior to the trade deadline, like these are the losses for the most part. Colorado, you had a Colorado again, Carolina, Pittsburgh, Seattle, L.A. All playoff teams. Vegas, Minnesota. Yeah, you're looking at, okay, so where do you fall right now? You fall in the middle. Yeah. You're, you're stuck in the middle. And this is what we've known about the Blues all year long. And it's why, honestly, I feel better about it right now than I did when they were winning with Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly and the the guys that we knew were not going to be here next mm-hmm. year. At least right now, you're beating these bad teams with guys that are going to be here. So you have something that you're building around. You can see, okay, I understand how Verona fits into these these plans, whether it's for the way long term or just the immediate future. I see how Kasperi Kapanen can fit into what they're trying to do right now. I get what they're trying to accomplish on the power play. Now, the big thing is, how do you not allow six goals against <laughs> Vancouver or against seven goals against L.A. and then five against Vancouver? Like, how, how do you tighten things up defensively? And I'm not just talking about the defense. You made this point in the last segment, Alex. It's the forwards, it's the defense, and then you got to get better goaltending as well. It's all gone wrong at times over the past, really, full season. So how do you fix that? That's the plan in the offseason. But right now what you're seeing is that this offense is good enough to take advantage of the poor opponents on your schedule. And you've got to be able to suppress those goals. Nashville's nearly in the playoffs, and you've scored more goals than the Nashville Predators. So that tells you it right there. Somebody just texted in on our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. Alex isn't being stuck in the middle, the worst place to be in if you're the Blues. Yeah, if you're starting the season and being in the middle, but going into an offseason where we've been talking about this being a retool rather than a rebuild, it's a perfect spot to be in because now you know, let's fix the defense. We fix the defense. We're competing with other teams that are trying to be in the postseason. If this play would be happening a month ago, you'd be talking about catching up with Nashville trying to get into that bottom wildcard spot. Here's where I'm at in terms of them playing well right now, though. This is the worst thing that could happen to the Blues. Because you traded away all of these pieces, you've you've garnered all of these first round picks. You don't need to be selecting thirteenth or fourteenth overall. And, and I I say this from somebody who wants to see the Blues successful. You haven't drafted a forward in the top ten since Rod Brendamore. If you can get into the top ten with this draft, you're going to get an impactful player. And it's not saying if you draft thirteenth overall. That that's not going to help you next season, but you're three points away from being the 13th best ranked team in the, or the worst ranked team in the National Hockey League. Man, you don't want to be selecting 13th overall. That would be worst case scenario. That is. And if you can avoid that, that's great. The Blues have just announced that they are not expecting Buchnevich or Thomas to travel with them to Chicago because of upper body injuries, I believe is what they said. I wouldn't mind them sitting out for the next few games. Well, and if they're honestly. not traveling to Chicago, they're, I would imagine they're not playing in Nashville because if you're not going to rejoin them mid-road mid trip. And we don't have any update yet on that, but if, if they're not going to be a part of that game, I wouldn't mind them shutting them down for 
maybe the next week or so. And it depends and, on what Buchnevich's is because, man, he went into that sideboards pretty damn hard. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying that because you're trying to tank, but it might be a little bit of an unintended consequence of trying to get into that. Like, you'd really like to be around eighth. Yeah. You'd like to be around eighth, and I think they they can beat Chicago either way. It's the teams that are coming up on your schedule that that it changes things a little bit. You you talked about the goals and how they're they're very close right now to what you're seeing in Nashville. These are the teams in the NHL that are somewhere between 3.2 and 3.3 goals per game on average scored. Colorado, Vegas, Carolina, Pittsburgh, St. Louis. Mm-hmm. That's really good company that you're keeping right there. The problem is those teams are allowing 2.7, 2.8, 2.6 in terms of Colorado, Vegas, Carolina. St. Louis and Pittsburgh, the two teams that are struggling this year, 3.7 and 3.3 goals a lot per game. It's not hard to find what's the problem for the Blues. The problem is not their goal-scoring ability. That has been resurrected towards the end of this season. The problem is their inability to keep the puck out of their own net, and that's got to get figured out before next season if they want to compete, but certainly within the next couple of years for them to be able to get this thing turned around. We'll hit the rewind and give you a chance to win a $50 gift card to Ballpark Village coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. a couple of minutes i will give you a chance to win 50 dollars as a gift card to ballpark village so if you're going out tomorrow to hang out with us maybe you're just checking out ballpark village before opening day stay tuned for another couple of minutes and we'll give you a chance to win a 50 dollars gift card to ballpark village if you missed anything from today's show be sure to check out the podcast page 101espn.com the free 101 espn app is where you can go to find it it is all presented by dobbs tire and auto centers Alex, earlier today I mentioned that C.Y. Young, Mizzou's lead assistant, um, he was a huge piece of the coaching staff that they tried to build under Dennis Gates. He had been offered the head coaching vacancy at Temple. Now, what I didn't realize is how what a bleep show <laughs> it is right now at Temple. Their president resigned yesterday, and apparently this basketball coaching search has been an absolute disaster for them. According to John Rothstein, who reported about an hour ago that they had offered C.Y. The, uh, the job, he says uh, Charleston or Charleston Young has withdrawn his name from consideration at Temple due to the uncertainty with the leadership of the school. So CY expected back at Mizzou uh, from not expecting him to be a part of the program next year to being very excited about him being at Mizzou. That was quite the hour of radio. Good us. to know Wikipedia is on top of this. I just Googled Charlton Young and it says he is the American college basketball coach at uh, Temple University. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, maybe a little too quick there. Mm. I, I personally, and look, if, if Temple is an ish show right now, it makes a lot of sense. But I personally think this this is a credit to, to Dennis Gates and what type of head coach he is. Uh, even if the program is bad, that's a hell of an opportunity to become a head coach in college basketball because that's the next step towards a bigger program. If you show yourself up, even if the program's poor, 
And Charlton Young turned that down to remain an assistant head coach with Dennis Gates. I I think that says a lot about what Dennis Gates has done in one season with the Missouri Tigers. And he probably views this as if I do another season with Dennis Gates for how great this coaching staff is, we have a better year, more opportunities open themselves up. Yeah, for sure. And he's 51 years old right now. He'll be 52 this year. So it's not like he's at the end of his coaching road. Uh, I think he's going to get another opportunity, and it does speak to the excitement of what he could potentially do with Dennis Gates this upcoming season. So the news, C.Y. Young is going to be sticking with the Missouri basketball program, it appears, by turning down the Temple head coaching job. Now go get our guy from TCU. That's right. To celebrate opening day, 101 ESPN is giving you the chance right now to score a $50 gift card to Ballpark Village. The Cardinals home opener is tomorrow afternoon, and you can join in on the fun at Ballpark Village Use your gift card at Bally Sports Live, Budweiser Brewhouse, Sports and Social, or any venue inside Ballpark Village. Text the Air Comfort Service text line right now, 314-399-9646, for your chance to win that $50 Ballpark Village gift card. Here's what you got to be texting. What did Alex's daughter do that made Alex laugh? What did she do that made Alex laugh? If you have the correct answer to that question at 314-399-9646 and you are texter number 101, you are getting the $50 gift card to Ballpark Village. Tomorrow, we're going to be joined in person down at Ballpark Village with Chip Carey. We're going to have Michael Gersh on the show. Katie Wu is going to join us live right before opening day. We'll see you guys tomorrow between 10 and 2 right here on 101 ESPN. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.